0: G'day guys, welcome to the Noob Sparrow Podcast. It's Shrek here. If you're joining us for the first time, welcome aboard the Noob Sparrow Podcast. It's the show where we interview spearfishing experts from all over the world. Today is we're, we're headed to Melbourne, back to Melbourne to chat to another club spearfish member. His name is Eckhart Birkenstein and uh, we dive deep into crayfish hunting. Now lobsters in some parts of the world, crayfish in others, we talk about where they like to hide how you can find them, how you can get hold of them and secure your own. Um, we, we, we we chat for a good 15 minutes about how to catch crayfish in this episode's Veterans Vault. And um, Eckhart is an absolute character. This is probably the longest interview we've ever done, but uh, it's for good reason. He's got a ton of knowledge. He's originally from South Africa, and he's taught spearfishing and freediving uh, both there and here in Australia. And... Uh, He's a he's a he's a he's a wealth of knowledge. So this interview is very good. Now, before we get there, a couple of bits and pieces of news: uh, Two local lads in Brisbane um, were recently winched to safety off the New South Wales coast. And is uh, actually a former guest on the News Bureau podcast. Um, his name's Trevor, and him and Dylan got caught out off the uh, Nine Mile Reef off Tweeds. And I haven't heard the full story from Trevor yet, so I don't, I'm not going to share too many details. But um, basically, they got separated from their from their boat and started making a swim back to land. Um, the skipper of the boat did the right thing, called Triple O, uh, the emergency number, and um thankfully like marine services just uh mobilized so quickly i believe they had uh three helicopters and or might have been two helicopters and five boats going looking for them and uh they found the boys uh having after having swum a little while and uh and they were both okay Uh, Taken to hospital to sort of check him out, but everything come back good. So I'm glad they're all good. Um, I'm hoping Turbo can catch up with maybe Trevor this week and find out a little bit more about the story about what happened. Um, In other news, Gr Tar, Jason Whitmore, and Richie Zaka won the Florida State Team Spearfishing Championship, and uh, that means they qualify for the international. So we've got to get some of these blokes on the podcast at some stage in the uh, future. Uh, I've listened to Gr Tar chat before in the past, and uh, he's an absolute character. So good on those guys. Check out that news if you want to learn a bit more about that over at deeperblue.com. Uh, also, Scuba Diver Magazine um, have got a new spearfishing section. And uh, I've actually submitted a story. So we got a two-page spread, I believe, uh, coming out in the next edition. It's a story I penned for them. So Scuba Diver Magazine, check that out. Um, also, what else is happening? We had a couple of brilliant iTunes reviews. So I want to tell you about them. Um, Tommy does. He says, great podcast. My diving hunting has improved in leaps and bounds, and it's genuinely interesting to listen to. I think he's talking about the podcast. With a few laughs, added. it in. Keep it up, legends. Cheers, Tom. So thanks for that, Tom. That's the latest iTunes reviews. Before that, we had Dragonlord. He said, awesome podcast. Great work, guys. Has helped me out lots. Um, at the beginning of listening, I had only shot a flathead. Now I feel much more confident with my gear and diving. Keep it up, awesome work! So that's a really cool review. We also got an Irish review, which uh, we haven't had yet. So the first one, Stephen Quigley the first writes, thoroughly enjoyed the show. Keep up the good work. And Brandon Hedrickson, former guest, he wrote a, a, bit of a quick review up there as well. He said a great reverse uh, resource for Spiros, new and old to the sport. So quick catch up on iTunes reviews today, but wherever you listen to the show, if you if you like it. Just pump up a review, it helps other people find the show, would appreciate that a ton. Right, let's get into today's interview with Eckhart Birkenstein, down in Melbourne, catching crayfish. Here we go.
1: Spear guns, they're only as good as their rubber and rigging. Do yourself a favour, check your gear regularly so you don't end up like my good mate Shrek does constantly, having rubbers break, bridles pull out and uh, spear shafts going off into the distance. Head into spearfishing.com.au. Do yourself a favour, update some of that gear that's starting to perish. Use the code NoobSpear at checkout and you'll save $20 on all purchases over $200. Big thanks to our show sponsor, Adreno.
0: G'day guys, welcome to today's Noob Spiro podcast, we've just um, had a little bit of a quick chat with Turbo, there's been a severe workplace injury over there at Noob Spiro HQ, Turbo can you fill Eckhart and the listeners in on on what's happened to you buddy?
1: Yeah, so I was having a little little pre-interview wine and then I um, shut the... What are you, the waiter's friend, a little bit that cuts the foil off on my finger and it hasn't stopped bleeding. So I couldn't find <laughs> any band aids in the house. So it's toilet paper and sticky tape. But now I, I can't that. use the trackpad on the Mac and it's, it's actually quite difficult. It's um, unbelievably difficult. So
0: right. thanks, buddy. So there's, that was good. So there's wine, there's wine flowing freely. Eckhart is, uh, he lives in Melbourne, works at Adreno. He's a spearfishing and freediving instructor, originally from South Africa. It's great to have you with us, Eckhart. You're also having a vino, I believe. Of course. Of course.
2: It's uh, from Spain, a little Tempranillo, just to uh, get the evening going, you know?
1: Oh, mate, right. that's, that's really nice. We'll Mine's from a box that says Banrock Station. I don't even know why <laughs> I was using the waiter's friend, to be honest. <laughs>
0: uh, so the interview is kicking off with a bang. Um what do you do at Adreno um, down there? Our major show sponsor. You, you, you. What's your role there?
2: Uh, I feel like I'm part of the woodwork, mate. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty much there uh, five days a week and um, help help the team at Adreno with, with just sales and um, I'm an assistant store manager there, so keeps me pretty busy. <coughs> so you're
0: assistant you're...
1: assistant store manager or assistant to the store manager.
2: Well, I guess they both would be this, very similar to the same thing. Yeah, okay. same, same, I, but different.
0: I mess, I, I message your your boss, and they said you just do a bit of cleaning. Oh well, <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 It's good to have you with us, Eckhart, I've, I've chatted with you briefly before. Just um, so, are you also part of Club Spearfish? Because we've recently had Sven on the show, and I, I just it seems like all your blokes are in the same club down there.
2: Yeah, so I am actually, but look, um, the last time I was at a meeting was like over a year ago with uh, a new family, your spare time is is severely limited, so I actually haven't even been to a meeting in, I'd say, at least a year, but I'm I'm still (laughs) technically a a silent member of the club.
0: Okay, all right. It sounds like there's a pretty good culture down there. Um, How long have you been spearfishing for and, and, and where did you get started with it all? So I started spearfishing. I guess it's
2: a bit of a longer story. I I grew up in Namibia, which is just just north of S- South Africa on the west coast. Okay. And my father would always take us as a family down to the beach and go dive crayfish with a whole bunch of other families. So being near the ocean and and going fishing on the weekends with them was always kind of part of life. And I think it's. I mean, if if you chat to a lot of people, everyone's got very a lot of people actually have similar stories where. You know, the ocean was always part of their kind of upbringing and, and the, the story of how they grew up. So the ocean was definitely the same for me, like super important in terms of like we used to go fishing with my my father on the weekends and um, he'd go crayfish diving. So that was part of the story. And we moved to South Africa when I was uh, like 13, 12, 13. And the fishing was, uh, you know, the shore angling in, in South Africa. I mean, you've got to know what you're doing, which... Being young, I had no idea. So it was a little bit boring for me. So I started surfing. So I spent my high school in the water just surfing. And when I moved to uh, Cape Town, where you can actually um, start crayfish diving, because where I grew up in this little coastal town, this small little town called George, uh, which – is a great neck of the woods, actually. If if you guys have ever heard about the the white muscle cracker, it's a oh. kind of a very well known South African fish species. It's, it's one of the meccas uh, for them, but mm. there isn't really much crayfish life there. I, although I have found crayfish there, um, it's it's v- incredibly rare. Um, so when I moved to Cape Town, me and my brother actually started crayfish diving. You know, you're diving down, grabbing a couple of crays, and all of a sudden you you, know, you see some fish. And you know, obviously the, the 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 brain started to work, and we started to mm. kind of put two and three together and get five. Uh, <laughs> what had happened actually was my brother over that like this December holiday because South Africa's got like most places in the world world has got seasons for your crayfish or lobster. Um, the, the main season is kind of over that kind of December, yeah. November, December, January period. And he'd gone to a very remote coastline of South Africa. Uh, the it's called the Tron Sky. Mm-hmm. and he had like borrowed some old gear and taken my dad's old like obel ob- champion. You know the old grey um, handled like champion guns.
0: No, I've heard of them. I don't know. I don't know them, but I've heard of them. Okay. by the time
2: we were using it I think the thing was like 40 years old like it was ancient so he shot a muscle cracker and the whole thing just basically fell apart on the first fish but oh. you know he came back with you know eyes wide open and he was like oh my gosh we got to get you know we got to do this thing and and get on it and uh, then me and him uh, went to the trans guy on a trip and we did the same thing we borrowed some old gear we tried to fix up this old gun uh, which worked but you know we quickly realized this is probably not the best way to to guarantee landing any fish and we went up there and uh we'd share the gun between the two of us Uh, so it was really um cool that first trip because we you know he had the gun first and I uh, can't remember exactly what fish he shot, but I remember I got an opportunity, and, and, and there's a fish in South Africa called the the Natal knife jaw. Um, okay. It's like a kind of similar to uh, like a like a parrot fish. It's got quite a beak on it, um, uh, but they are literally the, the world's friendliest fish. So <laughs> perfect to start out on. So the fish <laughs> swam up to me, and I had the gun at the time, and I remember. Like I swam kind of to mid water and this fish swam up to me and I looked at my brother and he was like, you know, giving me the thumbs up and I'm like, oh man, this doesn't quite feel right. So I kind of waited for the fish to kind of turn away and start swimming away. So it's in my head, I was like, okay, you know, a little, little bit of a fighting chance to get away and managed to get him. And we had that for dinner. Uh, but we didn't, you know, have much luck because we were just kind of getting in, into the water and... Came back to Cape Town, um, still kind of in, over that December-January period, and that's when um, the certain coastline, uh, maybe about three hours up from Cape Town, is called Straceby, uh, it, the, the They've got an incredible run of uh, kingfish or yellowtail. I got invited on a boat, and you know, used an old surf wetsuit, and the guy gave me like a 1.2 uh, Ruby Tech gun, I think it was at the time, yeah. and. Um, Anyway, so all this borrowed gear and went out and I was just, I don't know, man, beginner's luck or what, but I shot uh, two yellowtail on that, on that uh, first trip out. And it's, it's almost like those, I mean, I shot the knife jaw and then I shot the two yellowtail. So it's kind of a big jump from like little yeah. reef fish to all of a sudden shooting something that can, like that's literally pulling you underwater. Yeah. And um, I remember getting home and I was like, that's it, I, I basically just, Went and I just bought everything. I was like, "This is this is me for life." I'm I'm set. I'm done. <laughs> so basically, wow. set set myself up and um, kind of started. Oh, geez, it would be like 15 years ago.
0: Okay, so you got started about 15 years ago, like sort of more seriously there in South Africa. When did you make the move to Australia? My wife and I came over uh, four years ago. Actually, moved to Melbourne just by the by is
2: probably you know, the, at the bottom of a long list of places you'd want to get to in Australia if spearfishing was yeah. kind of a passion. It's the wrong end of
1: the country, really, isn't it?
2: Well, uh, yes and no, man. Like, each place has got, you know, unique things to, yeah. to uh, th- that it has. And uh, it's taken me a while to get to know what those things are here. Um, but, you know, we've got, like, an amazing run of uh, calamari and they get, they, they get massive, and it's heaps of fun shooting them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, there's there's lots of challenges to be had here. I mean, we do get kingfish, but, I mean, uh, you know, most of the diving here is shore-based. Like, I've only done, I think, maybe five sh- boat dives since I've moved here, so everything is shore-based. Um, but pretty much everything that you can shoot from a boat, bar like a bluefin tuna, um, you can shoot from a shore dive. Okay. So there's actually... A lot accessible to you as a as, as a shore diver. Um, so literally, I'd say you know, 95 percent
0: of all divers around here, that everybody does shore dives. Tur- not everyone can be like Turbo, you know. He's got a couple of boats.
1: That's not true. Turbo, that's that's actually oh, not true.
0: Oh, you only got one now. <laughs> oh no, yeah, yeah,
1: no, tr- no, you are right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, no, he's right. He's he's right. I've got a couple of projects on the go. None, none of my boats <laughs> <laughs> actually, gay, and he likes to <laughs> remind me of it.
0: <laughs> oh, projects, projects is one word for an haircut. Um, is it a you know, other... life term for the? Uh, wow, well, you know I can't say too much because there's boxes of my stuff sitting in one of them, so I'm just going to leave it like that. There, it's a nice storage. One's a storage, storage boat.
1: When uh, Shrek was in China, <laughs> his mate said, um, "Shrek's got a couple of." Boxes at my place. Well, actually, Shrek said I've got a couple of boxes. My mate's bringing them around. Can you keep them at your house? And I said, no worries. It was one of those classic things when old mate showed up with his trailer and his ute, and these couple of boxes turned into Just like a yeah, like pretty much a couple of ton of crap. So now it's all under my house. Um, it's yeah. it's it's actually been really
2: yeah, it's been great for kindling. Hey,
0: it's good for our <laughs> it's good for our friendship, eckhart Have you heard of Storage King in Australia? Uh, yeah. Turbo is the storage queen, <laughs> so we're all over it. We're just Man, expanding our reach. All let's right, talk so spearfishing. Get, get, yeah, let's talk spearfishing. Um, okay, so ninety-five percent of the diving down there is 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 like as you say, shore base. What what kind of um, challenges does that sort of lend to? Well, geez, there's
2: actually heaps. To be honest, I guess the one is the equipment side of things. So, do, doing rock hopping, you're incredibly rough on your gear. Like, so your socks. Uh-huh um i mean you kind of fly through socks like quite a lot because i mean sometimes you're doing fairly long walks uh you know you, you could do the um uh, the alternative thing of getting a pair of crocs and walking around in them but you know most guys just wear wear their wetsuit socks and you know destroy them and get some new ones so gear wise it's definitely um uh, it's hard in the gear um so that's that's definitely a challenge and also the weather-wise, in in Melbourne, it's it's been a real learning curve because one, you know, the back beaches um, they're very temperamental in terms of swell, and if there's any kind of increase in swell, the the, the currents that are running off the shore can get incredibly strong. Okay. So there's there's th- that aspect. Uh, there's not, so there's a just kind of like the the currents that are running off the shore, but then you also get tidal currents because Melbourne has got two main bays. So you've got Port Phillip Bay. And then you've got Western Port. And the water, obviously, high and low, it's, it's, it's coming in and out of there all the time. So there's that tidal movement too. So there's actually a lot of water movement, which is – it's pros and cons because, um, you know, the the pro to that is, you know, if we get heaps of rain, obviously the, the bay can get very filthy. But it brings down nutrient-rich water. And then, obviously, you know, a couple of tidal changes, and you know, either a more rain or, or like crazy winds, that that dirty water gets uh, gets to moved out of the bay actually really quick. So, uh, so that's when mm-hmm. I when I when I came here, I you know obviously try to ask as many questions as I could, but I basically just pack my car and drive as far north as possible, and then just see what the water's like, and keep driving south until you know it starts getting better. And as soon as I go, okay, yeah you know this this looks like we can get in the water here um you know I'd start kind of trying to look for reef or look on Google Maps and and see where I can find structural reef and and just basically get in and explore and see what it's like yeah so so the further south you go in the bay generally the rule of thumb is that the visi- the visibility in the bay gets better
1: right and All right, cool. what's the trade off there um like obviously like you said obviously the further south you go the better that vis gets now is the diving better in the north because of that reason? Because there's less pressure due to dirtier water. Is, is that something that you find?
2: Yes, and it depends on this. What kind of species you're hunting? Okay. But the further north you go, like this, there, there isn't a lot of great structure. Okay. Um, now, obviously, if you had a boat, that would change dynamics completely. But most of what we have accessible on shore dives, the, the structure isn't that amazing. Uh, the further north you go in the bay. But, the, the, I mean, there's definitely reefs and stuff that you can explore. But kind of in that middle Frankston, Mount Martha, Mornington areas, there's kind of like the, like I'd say like 80% of, of sparrows in in Melbourne, cut their teeth is is kind of in that neck of the woods.
0: Okay. So, so Eka, you've been you've been spearfishing 15 years, and I mean, I wanted to take it back to a bit of a personal level. What what sort of gave you the motivation to become a free diving instructor? When did you do your first course, and sort of you know what inspired that?
2: I'll I'll give you the kind of Reader's Digest version. So when I started spearfishing. Um, obviously, being such a long time ago, there wasn't really a lot of information that's accessible. Like so, these days, you know, you can watch YouTube videos uh, of some of the best like freedivers in the world, and and get tips and technique tips. And there's obviously, uh, you know, generally freediving courses pretty much in every major, you know, city in. In Australia, um, you know, it's 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 pretty easily accessible, and that information is is so powerful. So I realised that there was a need after making heaps of mistakes, basically. So when I started spearfishing, so like. I'll, I'll give you one one quick story. When I started spearfishing, you know, no one really taught us, uh, you know, safe equalisation and what, when, and how to equalise. And um, you know, I, I used to go spearfishing, and every now and then I'd have one of my ears just just stop equalising at let's say you know five to six metres, and I just it got me so frustrated, and I'd swim down, and I just couldn't get beyond this point. But my one ear would equalise, and the other ear wouldn't, and um, I just thought, well, you know, clearly I'm not blowing hard enough, so I just thought. You know, as as any young guy would, you know, add add a bit of force and a bit of elbow power and see how you go. And um, you know, it it worked for a while, and then one day I did that and I actually blew my eardrum. Ooh. Uh, or ruptured my eardrum and I just remember this like rush of water and just this absolute weird sensation um that didn't stop me from diving though I just kind of carried on diving for the day and I remember getting out and getting to my car and I just like didn't feel like so dizzy but I was just like I just couldn't hear properly like I didn't know what was going on and um yeah I ended up losing about 10 maybe even up to 15 percent of my hearing in that year um and so and Uh, what, what do you call that, like ringing in your ear? Like, tinnitus. tinnitus Yeah. So this stuff came around and I was like, this sucks. And then my dad's a doctor and he was like, look, you've actually got this for life. And that kind of <laughs> brought it down to me. I was like, this. This is horrific. (laughs) So I was like, I don't want to make more mistakes like this. So I got in contact with Trevor Hutton, which is, at the time, he was basically South Africa's best freediver. He's an incredible spearfinger. I mean, he dives super deep, um, like stupid dips. And so I did a course with him, and that just really, uh, you know, a lot of uh things in place like i was diving like i didn't realize i was diving dangerously but i was doing like i wasn't doing long dives but i was doing hardly any surface interval but then again you know like i didn't know i didn't have that information so i would dive for like 20 30 seconds and i'd be on the surface for 20 30 seconds Ah, and i would and i would do that for like two three hours and after doing this course i was like right this is why i've got migraines and you know like uh, after pretty much every dive you know it was it was brought home a lot of stuff to me
0: yeah so
2: i did that course with him and it kind of started that kind of like that learning process just realizing uh, what a lack of knowledge I had, and how much I had to learn and try to unlearn bad habits, really. And then actually, I'd always looked into becoming an instructor, but ah, oh, you know, it just never really came around uh, or an opportunity didn't present itself. And then um, I got in contact with Adam Stern. I don't know if you yeah. guys might have yeah, heard yeah. about him. Yeah, we know him. Yep. So, yeah, amazing guy. Did one of his deep weeks last year um, oh. and then just did my in. Uh, instructors with him too and that was again like to actually go and free dive for a week it just it's, it's like uh it's such an intensive time and you're like you're just diving every single day you know there's theory it's like it's you know there's like 40 50 people or I, I don't know how many i think this this year i saw that he had a massive group but there's so many divers so you're watching everybody dive you're learning so much and um yeah it was it was pretty pretty crazy so um, and that was like a, just a process to, you know, uh, start this ed- like learning thing and try to learn more and, uh, you know, get better habits um i was teaching you know beginner spearfishing courses in south africa but uh you know coming to australia you also realize like you can't just like with insurance and liability you can't just go ahead and uh, you know just do something on your own you've got to uh, figure out the right way to do things so um yeah i did my yeah so i did my instructors with 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 adam yeah been teaching since last year
0: and you're pretty well regarded by some of those melbourne guys i've heard of a couple of good things about you so that's pretty awesome i wanted to I wanted to get a bit of background on it. How,
1: how, how do you go finding um, depth in Melbourne? Like where would you do your courses, If you know, if you take a Well, that's building? the thing.
0: Melbourne's actually – it's
2: really hard to get depth because you've got to put it like this. Diving the back beaches, you're only going to get maybe seven days in a month if you're lucky that you can dive the back beaches. That is calm enough. Hmm. But then, you know, most of those days fall during the week, obviously.
1: Obviously, uh, yeah.
2: So, okay. so you've pretty much just got the bay to dive, um, and the bay is incredibly shallow. You know, for you to find depth in the bay is pretty hard. And then you, you swim out in the bay, and then there's all the boats. So, you know, I have a few friends that have actually had very, very close – personally, I've, I've had a few pretty close calls with boats. But, you know, in summer, I almost avoid diving the bay because there, there's so much boat traffic. I, for the courses, actually um, charter a boat and and then uh, we've got that boat right there as a safety. So if another boat approaches, they can actually put their boat in between us as divers uh, mm-hmm. so they can kind of block. Even though we've got a flag, there's a diver's flag up, you, you just need somebody that's on the boat that's skippering that can maneuver the boat in such a way that, that you're theoretically protected and you know pick you up at the end of a drift and then move you back up um, and then you well, can just do another drift.
0: This is a really good point. We haven't actually discussed this much on the on the show, but like, walk, like walk us through what a good boatie does when they're sort of the wingman on the boat, looking after everyone in the water. Yeah. You? So, look, I've learned a lot.
2: Uh, I used to own a boat, and I'm I'm pretty sad that I had to sell it to move here. But you know, help oh. help pay for some tickets. Um, but there's a lot of things that, that a boat can do. So here in Melbourne, and I'm not sure how you guys dive further north, but in Melbourne, a lot of the guys anchor up, um, yep. and then everybody gets out of the boat, and everybody kind of like swims off and goes spearfishing.
0: Okay.
2: Where in South Africa, you would, I mean, I guess because of the shark um, thing, you, you just, you'd never anchor up. There's always somebody is in the boat watching the divers at all times. Yeah. Um, that's kind of been ingrained in me as a as a body. You have to be observant of of where your divers are and their body language. Sometimes, like you you can easily see a, a diver that's fighting a fish. um You know, one you'll see the gun floating right next to him, and he'll either be uh, pulling up the line from the reel, or you'll see the float start moving around and then fighting on the float line. So, you start observing those kind of things in in the divers that are in the water Uh, and then obviously you know that you need to get closer so there's opportunity sometimes in south africa when we hunt kingfish it's like a it's an it's a it's a team sport um so if you swim into a school of of kingfish you call the boat over as quickly as you can and so uh, as a boater you've got to be like on your a-game and you kind of uh, head straight in there you you give the guy a a second gun. you take his gun and clip it off on the side of the boat. He's got that gun then to uh, reload and then hopefully shoot a second fish out of the school. And then, I mean, you're passing guns to, like, the other divers too because, you know, you're generally – when you shoot one, you'll hold that fish in, you know, seven to eight meters of water. Your buddy can shoot a fish. Then hopefully you get another gun and hopefully you get another shot in a fish. And obviously it's like a massive, like, spaghetti meatball mess. But then (laughs) – you know, you spend like fifteen minutes sorting that out, and then uh, boat the fish, and then start the prices all over. So, there's that element where you're watching the divers in the water and their safety. I could tell you another. Okay, so let, let me tell you a little quick little story. So, I I went diving with a friend of mine, and this guy's like, I don't know, man, he's got a magnet for great whites. It's ridiculous. So again, we're talking about body language and watching your the guys in the water. So we jump in this place, and this place is like pretty notorious for great whites. And I swim down, and it's not deep, it's seven to eight meters of water. I swim down, and I'm sitting there, and it's like, It's green, like we call it great white green. Like you get there, and I'm just like I can barely see the end of my gun. This I was just like in in my head. I'm just like this is all levels of wrong. We've got to get out of here right now. This is not good. So I swim up and I'm just about to grab my mate's arm. Just hey, like look, let's let's maybe let's let's get out of here. This I'm not having a good feeling. And he swims down. So I'm like okay, like I've got to wait wait for him to come up. So I'm busy waiting. But I mean, obviously, like you know, you can I can't see anything. And uh, all of a sudden he shoots up next to me uh, and he's kick- he's finning so hard that he fins his whole half a body out of the water. And all he shots is white, white, white. puts his head back in the water. We, we go like back to back looking for this shark that he'd seen. Um, but literally in... Like maybe five, ten seconds, the boat was like right on us. We we jumped so hard. Like I think we almost flew over the other side of the boat. And the vis ended up being so bad that the 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 great white had swam underneath me. And I hadn't seen a thing. And yeah. it nearly swam straight over his head. Oh. So it was, yeah.
0: A, so I've seen a video like that getting around on Facebook. And it's in that green South African water, and this aggressive white point sort of coming up on the divers. And the guy gets to the surface, and he yells out, "What? What? What?" <laughs> and that, and that, and that great South African accent that you guys that have got is perfect. And, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and uh, so, like, as you were telling me the story, I was getting the visuals and everything. Like, so yeah, and so that's a good, a good, um, a good. It's a good story to sort of demonstrate, you know, what a good Bodhi is. It's, it's someone that's aware. So that's it. So you're being aware of your divers, of
2: where they are and when they're diving. So you actually, you'll know that, you know, this person, he's a minute and a half diver. This person is a 40 second diver. So you'll see, when, and so you'll have a rough idea of when they're going to come up. So, you know, there's that aspect where if, if one of your divers dives, like you can't just go and fetch something from another diver because you're not 100% sure where this other guy's going to come up. You've got to wait for that person to come up so that you can then maneuver the boat, if that makes sense. Yep. Um, and then the other thing is, obviously, um, as a your one of the biggest concerns is other boats, because a lot of times uh, the other boats, they'll see the boat, but they, 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 they struggle to see whether it's uh, you know sunlight and glare or swell or surface yeah. chop, I struggle to see the divers or their f- floats and flags. So you've got to be aware that you might have to reposition the boat in between uh, an oncoming boat and the divers. So that you're protecting your divers in that sense.
1: Yeah, it's surprising how many um, guys on the water that don't understand what a dive flag is and what it means.
2: Oh, it's incredible! Well, look here. So here in Melbourne, again, it's summer. Is absolutely there's like a crazy amount of jet skiers mm. and boaties, And what I find is they'll literally. Uh, so, I think it's 50 meters. You're not. You've got to be five knots and under. Yeah if if there's a dive flag. But these guys will at full pace, like will cruise right up to your float because they want to know what it is. Yeah, And you know, like sometimes they'll go over your float line, chew up your float line in their prop. Like it's it's pretty dangerous. So you've got to have like a Big, big float with a, and even with a big float, like so. Normally, what I do if I'm diving in the bay is if, if I even hear a boat, I'll, I'll pop my head above water and kind of figure out where, the, where that boat is and uh, where they're coming from. And if I see that they're going to be in the vicinity of where I am, I'll, I'll actually raise my gun out of the water and wave it so that I can try and get their attention just so that they know that there's somebody in the water. Yeah. The,
0: the other, the other problem with that too is you get the Doppler effect. So if you've got a boat coming dead on, you don't even hear the bloody thing because of the way the the hull sort of sends the sound waves. So, like, it, it's a friggin' hopeless scenario. And like, so what you're saying with a good boatie, positioning them themselves between oncoming boats and the divers is just friggin'. Uh, uh, that's one of the best things about having a boatie, I reckon with a big with a big with a big dive flag on the top and a bad attitude behind the wheel. <laughs> I, I just love a body like
1: you can guarantee that. That term, the Doppler effect, and what Trek just told you, came from this one book that he bought about boating from an op shop. I saw it in his toilet, splattered in urine. This thing being there for a hundred years, and uh, it was—he's
2: learned one new word.
1: He's learnt that one yeah. fact from it. So I got it, was, it. it was worth the two dollars fifty. <laughs>
0: No, no, it was. $1.50. right it was $1. now, it's dollar
1: fifty. Right now, it's underneath my house in a box because he won't get rid of it. You can guarantee. I it.
0: will not get rid of that book. That book was gold, <laughs> solid gold. I learned what a displacement hull was. That's 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 a huge thing. Uh, <laughs> that's full of gold splashes or just gold. No, <laughs> so it's covered in gold splashes, and inside it's full of gold advice. Now mm. those 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 old books are the best, and and they've given me everything I know. I swear it. But um. No, no, good boaties worth their weight in gold, that's for sure. Um, one thing, a- another thing like new, what, what's some mistakes, some common mistakes in new boaties make, Eckhart?
2: Kind of in my mind... Uh, some of the things that that a lot of people do and again it's it's different people's perspective like so when i had a boat i wanted my trailer to be in the water for as little as possible because anytime you know if you're driving your your hubs get quite warm and you put warm hubs in cold water it'll contract and it'll actually suck water into the bearing Uh, and that's why uh, you know your bearings um on your trailer um it's there's a i mean i'm sure you guys would have experienced it where you know the bearings will seize and you'll be cruising down the, the road and all of a sudden you see a tire <laughs> your trailer tire going past the car you know so those things those things happen so uh, one is obviously trying to trying to make sure that you know your bearings are cool when you're launching your boats um and and then trying to make sure that you're you basically um knock the the, the boat off into the water and then pull the the, the the trailer straight out so the the trailer is only in the water for like maybe you know 10-15 seconds you're basically reversing it and stamping on the brakes and that gives it that like momentum and it knocks and it can just roll straight off and then you can drive straight out and the guys can hold the the boat in position uh, and the body can be in the water starting the motor straight away if, if you have to deal with surge and things like that so i see a lot of people here you know they might spend 15 minutes with the trailer in the water while they're busy doing all this stuff and my my head is just like the bearings the bearing no, no.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. exploding all right. i was i was thinking more like on water stuff but that's a great practical one as well that i honestly wasn't actually aware of so i've learned something Trick, but like what, in terms of
1: Trick, what does it say in, in your book mate about um bearings is he
0: right <laughs> Uh look back in those days circa 1952 bearing trailers were you know quite a rarity so I actually slings. I've got to get an updated version about bearings um, Well the
2: the other the other uh, trick that uh, me and uh, a bunch of my friends had was we'd actually have a spare hub with bearings everything attached so that if anything seizes you can actually take that whole hub off and just put a new one on um and so that was a good spare to have look i mean we're we were launching in pretty rough crazy conditions driving fairly long distances so you know the last thing you want to do be doing was sitting on the side of the road and yeah instead of being in the water okay, okay cool
1: the, the um were you, were you one of those crazy um south african beach launches that we see now on the internet
2: <laughs> uh, no, so um, those launches—that's uh, that's up Durban Way, uh, yeah. where, where they do all those kind of crazy launches in Cape Town. We've got slipways, so there's not there's not really beach launches in in, in, in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I in George, the area where I, I grew up, um, I got to know this guy whose his name is Rudolph. Um, give a little shout out to him. That guy's uh, the the cracker whacker or the white muscle yeah. cracker. He can he can he can fish them out, but so I've done a few beach launches with him, and it's it's uh, you've really got to know your know your uh, you know surf conditions, be able to read the swell, see where the kind of the the deep spots are, um, you know, in the sandbanks. So it's, it's it's pretty challenging. Yeah,
1: right. it's some of those um, launches they do over there look absolutely terrifying. I'm not interested in them at all. Oh man, <laughs> absolutely crazy.
0: It is, it is. It is.
1: Trek, Jeremy Gamble from Spearing Magazine has been in contact with you, and he's got a ripper deal,
0: mate. What is it? That's right. He, he said to me recently, he said, our, our new offer is eight back issues for $30 US <laughs> plus shipping <laughs> Isaac.
1: He didn't say US because it was implied, because he's American, it.
0: He is, and, and, <laughs> and everyone at spearingmagazine.com is American, but not all of the stories are American. Um they get some oh, where do
1: they come from?
0: Uh, all over. Dan Mann has recently got on. So there's even a bit of Australian stuff in there. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but really? if you want to get hold of this this eight back catalogue issues, you've got to email Jeremy, J-E-R-O-M-Y, at spearingmagazine.com and just tell him you're interested in the back catalogue and he'll send you a price with chipping. And uh, get hold of that at spearingmagazine.com. Ura! Thanks for the support, guys. <laughs> 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 uh, we've 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 spent a bit of time chatting boats, and it's good to get some uh, some some more information on that. We haven't actually spent much time with that on the show, but uh, Eka, what's a, a memorable fish story? Um, a fish from your sort of spearfishing history that really sticks out.
2: So, uh, one was actually. So I mentioned Rudolf earlier, and um, I'll i'll tell two quick stories so that rudolph guy he's got a great white story for almost every day of the week and so we we were cruising on the boat and we're obviously targeting muscle cracker now these muscle cracker they're incredibly beautiful fish they're they're massive i mean like you know normally your average size is four to like eight kilos but you know they can get enormous and they they're in that white water in that churning where the waves are breaking so we're in the boat and we're we're cruising down the beach and you know, he's telling us about uh, the last time he dived at this spot. Uh, he was you know, swimming along the shore, and he had his uh, you know, big you know, 13, 12-kilo muscle cracker on the float line. And all of a sudden, he felt this tugging, and he thought, oh, no, there was a seal at the, at the float line. So he swam over to the float line, and there was this big, great white, busy gnawing on his, <laughs> on his muscle cracker. And he goes, yeah, that, that's this spot here. So who's, who's going to jump in first? So, um, yeah, anyway, he loves tell it, like telling you these stories and going, yeah, that's this, this is exactly where this thing happened. So, who's, who's going to jump in? <laughs> <laughs> um, so, anyway, so we, we jumped in there and um, you kind of get to know what terrain you're looking for. And I found this this perfect terrain, like everything just looked absolutely perfect for Musclecracker. cracker. And uh, I swam down, and there were these large boulders, and I kind of wedged. So with muscle cracker, because you're in the breaking waves, they it's, the, 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 it's always trying to lift you up and wash you around, but you can't move around for muscle cracker. Any kind of sudden movement, and they just bolt like just light. Like, and you just hear their tail this like doof 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 as they swim away. Mm. So I wedge my knees and my elbows in between the rocks so that I'm not that I can't get moved around and. I look up into the shallows, it's probably only like, you know, a meter, a meter and a half deep on the, in the shallows. But it just looks absolutely perfect. And I can see there's this big boulder and there's a little gully on the other side. And I see, uh, you know, three, four fish get sucked out of this gully with, uh, with the next wave that came and they kind of get as the wave goes over me it pushes them back to the shore so they get washed back into the gully but i could see that in their body language that they didn't get a fright because i was there they just kind of saw me and drifted back Mm. so i went up um did a, you know, did a little breathe up and I realized, okay, so this is like they're definitely going to come in again. So I swam down and kind of hunkered down and just waited. And on the next uh, surge, as the, the water was drawing off uh, in the shallows, the, the whole school just came around this rock. And basically the first, the first fish, I, like I didn't even move my gun, I just pointed. And the first fish that swam in front of the, the spear gun pulled the trigger and, you know, he did like three, four kicks. My, my spear was like a banana. Um, but yeah, managed to, managed to get this fish in my hands and, you know, like fighting it in the white water with waves breaking and pulled it out into the slightly deeper water. And, um, yeah, that ended up being uh, my biggest muscle cracker, which I was super stoked on. Um, so it's not like the biggest fish I've shot, but it was just just the that um, yeah. element of like of the hunt where you like you find the terrain, you're like this is going to work. You get down there and like everything comes together. You know, it's not often that you get those moments where like you think that this is the best place and you yep. you get down there and it is the best place. Like that doesn't often happen.
0: Yeah, they they look like just a ball of muscle. Those fish too. Oh man, that incre- like you literally if, if if you give them
2: a fright all doof as their right. tails kick away and if, and a big school, obviously you know if you hear those tails, that means that you've done something wrong. They've seen you and you haven't seen them. Yeah, so right. and then they'll swim straight out of the area. That you might as well kind of you, you'll have to swim. You know, you might find that school again if you're lucky, but it, it would be super rare to find it. So, so what did that fish weigh? Uh, fourteen kilos on the dots. Oh, nice. Oh, yeah,
0: hey, super.
1: I was going to say you were talking there about seals in the area. So is are they do seals prey upon these fish in the shallows? Is that why No, no, you know? no.
2: They 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 prey on uh, the fish on the back the back, back end of your float. Yeah. Right. Um yeah, I mean even here in Melbourne, we have the same.
1: Okay. Yep. So we've
2: got there's a fair amount of seals. Uh, not not crazy amounts, but um it's definitely a factor and and uh, Obviously, there's you know, sharks here that uh, – you know, in South Africa, we've got seven-gill sharks or cow sharks. And, and here in Melbourne, we actually have the same. We've got the, the seven-gill sharks and the cow sharks here too. And they can be pretty cheeky too.
0: Right, okay. Cool. Yeah, right. wicked, uh, wicked memorable fish there. You said you had two. Uh,
2: well, the other one is just more, just a, just more of a, like a story of a good day. Um, we, in, in South Africa, your, your limit for kingfish is, is 10 fish. Uh, per person um, and every now and like literally maybe once or twice a year you'll get a day where it's just absolute pandemonium um, and uh, just we had one day where we where we launched and we got got out and we were the only crazy people enough to launch that day because the, the swell the, the 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 surge and the slip was just enormous um, so we, we got out there and we pretty much had this area's just to ourselves, and jumped in, and it was just, I mean, a school of King uh, yellowtail would come by, or kingfish would come by. Literally, like almost every five minutes, I'd I jumped over. It was like I was doing boaty first, and I just all my mates were just throwing, you know, yellowtail on the boat. And I was like, oh, sweating. I was like, oh, I just need to get in the water. Uh, <laughs> but you know, w- waited my turn. I had a guy jump over on the boat, and I was like, okay, cool. So I jumped in. As I jumped in the water, school swims by. I swim down. I shoot the fish, and I swim to the surface, and I managed to kill him. And I just push him down the shooting line, and I put the spear back. And I was going to start swimming back to the boat and another school came by and swam down and I'm holding the one fish in my hand and the shooting line's kind of going through it so I've got to kind of like aim like a little bit higher because another shooting line's going to pull down on the shot and I shoot that fish no. to get him I do the same same thing with him and I'm just about at the boat and another school comes past and I like I shot the third one like literally I've got like three yeah, uh, kingfish God on on the one gun and i'm right at the boat now so i give the guy on the boat that gun and he passes me another gun and i swim down and shoot another fish that was swimming next to the fish that i just shot previously oh, that's awesome. uh and yeah like a day like that oh man like literally we were back on shore and cleaning fish at like you know 10 o'clock in the morning which is uh oh, was just absolutely i mean it's just amazing to have those days where everything comes together, like all the, the yeah. time that you put in and the effort, like it just all came together. It was just brilliant. And, and not, so it's not so much the story of a fish but just that, those moments where, you know, you like you just put in all this time and all this effort and all of a sudden it just it all comes together and you have this like amazing day where everything just goes in your favor.
1: Yep. I love that. I love and you're, those not, days. you're not filleting fish in the, um, in the western sun or the, the afternoon sun at 2 o'clock frying. It's really quite nice.
2: <laughs> well, actually, I find that uh, with so the the yellowtail um, on this in this part of the coastline, they don't get very big. But um, if you froze them whole without gutting them, they they would actually freeze better than if you actually filleted them and then processed that. so we would just uh, put them in like tough freezer bags and then just freeze them whole and then obviously when you want your fish you take the whole fish out you defrost it over day and then prepare it that evening and then obviously you can do a whole bunch of stuff with the leftovers which i might get into a little bit later if we've got some time for that
1: so uh did you say guts and all yeah guts and all everything yeah right
2: It's actually quite easy to fill it, like a fish, um, or especially a kingfish, because the 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 flesh is so like meaty that you can actually fill it straight around the stomach without, you know, actually really cutting into the stomach. Yeah, okay. Mm.
1: That's the first time I think anyone's. Oh no, I think Daniel Mann said that as well. He said it's probably better to oh. keep the guts in over on a trip where they're sitting on ice for a few days. So, yeah, it's interesting. I think you're the second sort of person that um, sort of does that kind of thing.
0: Let's uh let's get into hunting technique. So down there in Melbourne, uh let's 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 get into a specific species. In oh, the, let's start with flathead. Hey, how do you go? You go? Ooh, <laughs> What's your technique for flathead?
2: Uh, I guess there's there's two tips. One is swim a long way, and the other yep. one is swim. You wanna you've got to cover a lot of ground.
0: The hardest thing about flathead is the hardest thing about green jobfish and snapper too. It's seeing them. Yeah. seeing them and and then you're and then you you know like the the thing with with flathead is is all you've got to do is see them with jobfish and snapper and some of the other species you've got to see them first and then you've got to work out okay what's my technique for actually hunting them with flathead there's there's no technique it's just seeing them and then shooting well them. no actually
2: so i find is if you shoot them from behind they tend to tear off easier because mm-hmm. your 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 shaft will go straight into the sand it'll almost anchor it mm-hmm. okay. and it's easy for them to tear off where if you shoot them um head on so like Facing their head, hmm. uh, because the shaft is uh, kind of at an angle. When they try to tear off, they swim and they'll swim up your shaft and onto your shooting line. Okay. So hmm. shooting them from the front actually, you'll end up losing a lot less right. flatter than than trying to shoot them from behind.
1: And they okay, nice. and they run hard, don't they? They're real game fish, you know. They're a challenge.
2: Yeah. Well, they're massive, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're a real challenge. <laughs> well, they've got sharp bones, so you've got to we well, have got to watch out for them. They've got to watch. The so go you races. use like
0: a, a rife atmosphere. <laughs> Stop it!
2: <laughs> I like to use a you know two of them with a little five meter bungee. Just just <laughs> when they run real hard, you've got to have that stretch in the bungee between your your, your two atmosphere flights. They they run real hard.
0: Oh, well, they're right. such a good eating fish, though. They've got to be one of the best, the best eating fish around. I love a good flathead. Mm. Um, all right, on a, on a more serious note, uh, what is a, a hunting technique you sort of use regularly to to hunt some of the more uh, you know flighty fish? I guess. Well, um, I, I'll, I'll chat quickly about one hunting technique that
2: uh, I think it's a common mistake that that we make as sparrows um and then i'd love to talk a little bit about crayfish because i i feel yeah. that you know no okay. one's no one's really chatted a bunch about crayfish um okay. on the show yet and i'd love to just chat a little bit about that because that's that's quite it's it's a real challenge down here in victoria and i guess wherever you travel to um, but so the one hunting technique that i found that um you know i guess we can all always work on is oh, let, let me tell you a story first and that, that'll kind of highlight this the the, the, the scenario for me so I was diving with my brother uh, back in the early days and he was working this little bummy and I could see him just diving and diving and diving and after a while he called me over and he said, oh no, there's this, uh, it's a—it's a, called a halyun which is the um, South African National Fish. There's a school in this area and um, you know you just can't get close and I, and I said, look, look uh, can, do you want to have one more go and then do you mind if I have a go? So. I watched him dive. And so there's this big bomb, and there's this kelp above it. And I see him dive, and it's perfect. Like he's like ambushed, like he's like, you know, wedging himself in the kelp there. And in my mind, as a, as a hunter, you know, it kind of, you know, it makes sense. But I saw the, the school of fish, and they just wouldn't come in close. And um, then he came up. I did a breather. I dove down. And what I did was I swam, you know, four or five meters away from the bomb, and, and actually put myself on the sand. And there was a bunch of rocks on my right hand side, and this very big bermi on my left. But I was kind of theoretically out in the open. Mm. And what I had done was I'd given uh, the fish the structure, if that makes sense. Yep. If so, by by you taking the structure, sometimes you can you, you you're more threatening because they've got nothing to hide behind. But then by me putting myself in a position where the fish could use the structure and they could theoretically hide behind the structure, I think they felt safe to come closer. So what had happened was the school darted behind these rocks on my right. So I didn't even move. I just moved my gun to kind of the end of those rocks. And I just waited for the school to kind of come filtering out from from behind the rocks. Um, and you know basically plugged the nicest fish um but that's that's an area where we often fall short where like in your head like it, you know you you're like you think you're like the the sniper but what what you've done is you've taken the structure away from the fish yep. and you haven't given them any security to come in closer to come and feel safe in that space again yeah nice that's
1: a, yeah that's a really good point and it that actually makes me think about our trip we did into the coral sea where probably not even thinking about it I did the same thing with um, with a mew or something very similar to a mew I think there's a few little different species oh, up there that are quite similar but same sort of thing they um, yeah if you're off to the sand just to the to just away from it a little bit they'd sort of come to the bommie and cling to it so I didn't put it together until just then but um, yeah that's that's pretty good advice
2: yeah well, look it's it's just that area where fish are naturally inquisitive but if you uh, behave in a way that's threatening for them um, obviously that they're not going to come in close but if you if you swim down to an area and they feel safe enough that they're like oh I've got this structure to hide behind or this little uh, cave I can swim into real quickly you know they'll feel more confident to come in and check you out and obviously you know that give you that opportunity on them
1: that's good advice all right
0: all right cool and then crayfish um, yeah let's do it okay okay let's hook in veterans vault <laughs> Veterans vault with with Eckhart and crayfish, <laughs> loving on. it. And we and I, I'm hoping, I'm hoping we're going to chat a little bit about a bit more about caring for your catch, too. So, all right, let's get into crayfish. Where, where do you find them? Look, um, again, it depends where you are in the world. I guess the first,
2: I mean, there's a few things before we get stuck in is always to make sure that you're aware of wherever you're traveling to or wherever you live, what the seasons are for crayfish because it changes all, like, pretty much everywhere where I've been. Hard to catch them. So even in Australia, like, in uh, in Victoria, you know, we're not allowed to use, you can only use your hands. That's it. Mm-hmm. Um right. But, you know, there's places where you can use nooses and hooks. Uh, you can shoot them in certain areas. But oh. so you, you, you just need to be aware if you're going to go target crayfish, what the regulations are wherever you're traveling and what those seasons are. Um, it's, yeah, it's one, It's the, the fine isn't worth it. And, and two, it's just, you know, it's kind of wise stewardship of, of our, our resources really.
0: I agree. And like, and crayfish have like a, a period of the year where they are in berry every year. And they'll and they'll have soft shells as well. So it's it's definitely worth with learning about your fishery a bit more. Where 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 did where where do, where do guys find out a bit more about their local fishery? Um where did you learn in South Africa and how did you learn in Melbourne?
2: Um, so when I came here, actually, there's a there's a great app that you can download on your phone called Vic Fishing. Now I don't know if the other states have similar apps where you've you can access basically you can access all the fish, their size limits, the seasons, um, the catch limit for the various species. So so this app it's called Vic Fishing. You can download it on your iPhone app or Android or whatever phone you've got. Um, so that's that's really easy. Obviously, you can uh, I guess contact any uh, any authority. Where, where you're going so you know I did a trip to Tasmania and Basically, just gave them a call. I had to buy a license online. Like in Tasmania, you don't need a fishing license, but you need a license for crayfish. So the best is just obviously just do online research and find out one who to call. I find calling people sometimes a little bit easier because you can try and navigate any. Uh, uh, you know, like in Tas- Tasmania, there's they've got different zones. Uh, mm. So there might be areas where there's uh, d- different zones that that you're not aware of as, as a as a traveller, like coming to a. a a new state or a, maybe even a new country you're completely unaware of it so the best is just to try and do as much online research and then also use Facebook as a forum like there's so many forums wherever you're traveling to there's going to be like some sort of like spearfishing wherever um, you know and use that as a resource and ask questions and you know you, you, people like I find people incredibly helpful like when I moved here you know obviously posted heaps of questions and asked as you know as many questions and I got heaps of answers so it's it's uh, you know these online forums and tools can be an amazing tool if you use them correctly.
0: All right, so we've 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 learned a little bit about the fishery where we where we're located. What's the what's the next step? So
2: the tools, obviously, you want to have a tough pair of gloves. Um, mm-hmm. Pretty important. Um, down here, the, the the holes are so deep and so dark that I remember when I moved in South Africa, you don't really need a torch. Like there's lots of crayfish, um, and and they don't hide as well as they do here. in 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 melbourne um so we never used torches um but then moving here i thought oh i I don't need a torch i can find craze and you know i found a couple without a torch but man was it difficult like it was it it made my life so hard and after i bought a torch i was like i was just you know just it's like that lesson where like sometimes you think you can get away with with without spending money or with or like something cheap and then you buy what you should have bought originally and you're like why didn't i just buy this in the first place like
1: yeah, on our sure. bloke like that, yep. <laughs> <laughs> so on that, on oh, just on that, uh, you mentioned gloves, mate. Uh, they're just they're a terrible thing. The dive glove, and everyone whinges about them. You work in a store, you, you die for craze, you punish gloves. What's the just give us a brand, give us a mate, give us a good cray glove.
2: So again, it depends where you are down here in Melbourne. You know the water's cold, um, so we're just. On the edge of our winter season, so in summer we'll on the back beaches maybe get to like twenty degrees, twenty one, mm. um, and then in winter it'll drop down to like thirteen or so. So yeah. it's it's pretty cool. So um, you know, ideally you want a Kevlar glove um, uh, down here. You want like a three mil uh, like the 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 spikes and the craze here are, they're pretty severe and even with kevlar gloves and the toughest gloves that i've found if if i'm diving specifically for crays, i end up going through gloves like every two months i'd say um wow. so it's it's one of those things yeah. where if, if you're diving for like so i've actually got like cray gloves that are basically just leave, like i won't even use them for anything if i'm going for crayfish i'll i'll take them but otherwise I'll, i've got like spearfishing gloves or like my winter warm gloves but yeah for craze they're so hard on your gear like just nothing survives them like it yeah. you just punish your gear like this like i haven't found one like uh glove that you know cuts the mustard they all kind of work um but okay. yeah they, they they just destroy it they, they gear destroys stories because i mean you're shoving your hand into caves and what yeah. i find actually it's it's not It's almost the top end of your glove that gets damaged the most because you're you're trying to wedge your hand um, like over the cray but um, underneath a rock. So it's that top end of the fingers that get like where you get holes first. Um, So yeah, it's I mean you just destroy gloves.
0: Do you have have you ever bought the the hardware the hardware gloves that have got like um, like flexible glue coating on the outside of them, and you wear them over over top.
2: I I haven't. Um, I like to have. I haven't tried that. I mean, it's not a bad suggestion because it's like you know, like those little dynamo like uh, gloves that you can get at uh, Bunnings and and wherever, and just put them over your gloves. But I like to if if you're sometimes if you're uh, grabbing a cray, you want a little bit of sensitivity so that you can kind of feel if you're grabbing a leg or a horn mm. and where uh, how the cray is sitting. So sometimes you might not even be able to see them, but you can feel them. Um, so you need to have some sensitivity on like where he's sitting so that you can get a good grip on him and then basically shake him like crazy until he lets go. Yeah,
1: My uh, mate of ours that we used to dive with, um, Jamie Luff, he actually would get wetsuit <laughs> glue and paint on because it seems to be the seam around the fingers that lets go a lot, the stitching, but he, he would actually put huge amounts of... Um, the neoprene glue over the seams and he would do it every so often and he he actually stretched those gloves out for donkeys ages. I can't believe how long they would last those things.
2: So it, I've actually done something similar with with silicone at one time yeah and, and I find that that was pretty cool. Like it, it seemed to work pretty well. yeah okay. So, so it's the same same principle I guess. Um, and then the other thing with craze I find is um, it's it's better to do it as a team sport now. So down here um Finding the cray is probably half the problem. So what I do personally is I change my diving style completely. So when I'm in that like search phase, one, I'll basically clip my gun float line and, and and float off on my buddy's float line. And for me, I view it as a team sport. So it enables me to to swim around and under caves. So in one dive, I can maybe do three or four caves. Where if if you've got a float line behind you, it's hard for you to get under a cave properly without getting snagged somewhere. Um, so it enables. Me me to like maybe swim down a gully and then check a cave out, really swim into it, have a good look, swim on, have a look under one other ledge. Where otherwise, if you're swimming around with your float line, it, it just becomes a burden and a hassle. So it enables me to, to actually cover a little bit more ground uh, and actually kind of identify or find the craze quicker Um, and then once we find them then we can spend a bit of time working on them and it also defeats that other objective where you can maybe if you're swimming with a gun maybe like anchoring your gun at one point and then swimming around but then you're swimming back over ground that you've covered before to get back to your gun to then go to a new ground so I find that's almost like wasting that time so we'll I normally swim with a buddy and we'll we'll work in one direction um, so that we're not covering ground that we've done before and then we could maybe come back on a maybe a deeper line or a shallower line to try and you know cover different new ground. Yeah. So, so I, I find that, that way I can I, I shorten my recovery period. Instead of doing like super long dives, and I've got to you know stay on the surface for uh, you know you know uh, you know four or five minutes, I find it better to do shorter shorter dives where you're keeping that energy. And once you find that crayfish, then you can be like, okay, you can get up there, do a proper breathe up, uh, and really strategize on how to approach him, which hand to grab him. Should you be upside down? Should you uh, down here in Victoria, the 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 horns and the feelers of the crayfish actually go upward. Mm-hmm. So it's it's actually quite hard to do a over the top grab for for the crazier. It's not impossible, but uh, they ret- they can retreat quite quick because they can actually sense your hand coming because your hand's got to go past the feelers before it gets to the actual uh, you know carapace where you can grab it.
1: Yeah. Mm. So now no, go on. So so what are you doing? You're grabbing them around them or something?
2: Well, okay. Well, there's a couple of ways to skin a cat, obviously, but mm-hmm. uh, a good good way is actually putting your hand with your palm. Up on the ground and actually try to slide it underneath the cray. The the danger, obviously, with that is if you grab too deep, uh, you know, obviously the cray can grab you, and you know those legs are incredibly strong, so you've got to be pretty careful. But ideally, you can then just uh, you know grab from underneath and and grab the horns like that instead of going over the top. Right. Yeah. Does that make sense? I'm like, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, no. Well, I'm just trying to think because realistically, the only thing I've ever chased is the um, the painted cray and I was just trying to think are the legs that strong that they'd actually physically hurt me and I couldn't I wouldn't think that they they are.
0: Last year I was in New Zealand and those things will they'll they'll tear you a new one. They'll 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 penetrate you penetrate right through into the muscle and hurt you bad. And let's let's
2: let's let's keep let's keep it civil. That's that's (laughs) wrong language to use. in in Victoria they incredible i mean they'll tear your wetsuit so i mean you've got to be careful if if you let them too, too close to you they'll they'll literally tear a hole straight through your wetsuit they're incredibly strong
0: okay yeah, last year last year I was in Taranaki with Pat and and we just went pretty much cray diving and um, I ended up pulling out a a good sized It's about 3 3 kilo or something those things have got if their legs get hold of you like yeah you're in for a good a good touch up and um I think one thing, one thing I learned, um, especially freediving, like when you're scuba diving for craze, it's much easier because you've got more time. But when you're freediving, like when, when I was scuba diving, you could put a bit of weed in front of your hand and you could sneak right until you're almost touching their horns. No, nah, really, because their horns will get, their, their, their feelers will go out and then they'll come back in again. And then, like it, and so you can just slowly creep your hand for. But when you're freediving, you haven't got like two minutes to get one cray. So it's a it's a very, it's a much faster sort of procedure. But um, I think uh, the the bit, the other biggest thing I learned was sealing off the sort of their back entrance. If they've got too many places to go, it's they're, they're much a much tougher um, animal to grab.
2: Yes, I mean you can you you know you can put your gun behind them so that try and block their retreat, um, or try to make sure. So I've you can chase a cray. Uh, If there's if there's only one other exit and your buddy's at that exit, you can literally chase that crow straight into your buddy's hands. Um, Again, you can actually it can be a team sport if if you know what I mean. Like you can actually your one buddy can cover the one entrance, you can cover the other one, um, and literally just um, like they you'll just chase him straight out.
1: And then at the end of the day, he he gets the head and you get the tail. That just seems, seems logical. It seems fair,
2: yeah. Or or you, you um, might find that you, you'll yeah. see the exit, and you might have a better grab from the exit, grabbing them on the tail, and literally yeah. just yanking them straight backwards.
0: Yeah, right. Right. I haven't grabbed many crays from behind, to be honest. Um, <laughs> no, I mean like, <laughs> oh, stop it. No, I'm, I'm not even being dirty <laughs> here. I mean like, whenever you're chasing them in New, whenever you're chasing them in New Zealand, like. You, you don't you don't get to see a crayfish from behind because they're always head first outside the back of a, you know, facing towards you out of a crevice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's rare you get one in the open. You,
2: you can you can also distract them with one hand and then move your other hand from the side and try to like basically bear hug the thing. Yeah. So you know, there's you can approach them. As you're saying, even with scuba, you're saying, you know, slowly creeping a hand forward. You can do something similar with even with freediving, is slowly like kind of distract them with one hand where there's you move some movements, and you can see that they they're inquisitive. They'll actually come and have a look, uh, or, or just distract them enough for you to actually get closer with your other hand. Um, and then I find, uh, um, you know, a, a really good technique with a grab is a lot of people grab from their elbow. If you you kind of thrust from your shoulders, um, you tend to get a lot more reach. Uh, and you know, there's, there's a greater chance of you actually like, and I'm normally trying to grab like at least 10, 10 centimeters behind the crayfish, because by the time I'm on him, you know, he's, he's 10 centimeters back. So you, yeah. uh, that, you, you, kind of adjusting for his, his, his escape.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, yeah. It's just unusual. Like, I've never really got to approach craze from anywhere behind them. Like when I was in, when I was doing scuba diving, you could, you could go right into a hole and. And, and, you know, you can see them all over the place. But generally, like diving in crevices, they're always sort of facing outwards. And so you only get a front-on approach. And so it's very much just getting past that front line of defence, which is their, their feelers, and then, you're, and then you're good as gold.
2: Yeah. And then obviously, you know, you want to try and grab them, you know, as close to the base of those two horns as you possibly can. Um, Because that's basically the strongest area. Um, And I mean, obviously, if they lock into a cave there, a good technique there is to actually shove them backwards because they sometimes get confused. And then it's easy just to pull them straight back out. Or you just sometimes have to, you know, shake them left and right and up and down in as many ways (laughs) as you can just to kind of dislodge them.
1: Uh, So they're they're quite literally. They're back in, and all the sprawl, all all the spikes on them face forward, right? So that's that's all they're doing, just so that you can't pull them forward out
2: of their little hole.
1: Yeah. Well,
2: I, I've actually had the cray's. Yeah, they'll they'll almost push up into the roof. So I've had one cray where I pulled him so hard that the top of his shell was almost. Like normally they're spiky. It was almost smooth, as 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 like, grated on the on the roof of this cave. So they 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 really try to wedge themselves in there. It sounds like fun.
0: if they sprawl it's a good arm wrestle and that's how you tear your gloves apart too because like you got hold of their horn and you're going backwards and forwards backwards and forwards just ramming them back in and out it's good fun i was going to say a, a a cool trick i learned from kimmy werner in a in a magazine ages ago she, she like w- with newbies following them they always leave feelers and legs and stuff everywhere you know like it's just like you don't New, new guys don't grab the horns like you say. They don't grab far enough back, and so they end up s- snapping feelers and legs off. But if, if you le- if you leave those feelers and the, the legs in the hole, those crayfish that live in that hole will move somewhere else. It's like a warning sign for them, so it's like take oh, all your yeah. excess legs and feelers with you when you go, and then that hole will still be good next time. I never knew that. Mm, I remember reading it in a Kimi Werner article a couple of years ago, and I thought that was pretty neat. Uh, it's mm. a good way to sort of look after your hidey holes.
2: Yeah, or or I mean, if you if you catch a cray and, and he drops a leg or two, you know, swim down and get it because I mean, you know, the legs is, in my opinion, it's like that's the best meat, man. Like that's 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 that's, that's the best stuff to eat.
1: How, how big are these it's um, not like a, um, crays it's like... that you're you're chasing down there? <laughs>
2: so oh they they get pretty big here man like um like the biggest I've caught is three point seven kilos but mm-hmm. i mean i've I've had friends that have caught four plus like five yeah. kilos um and we've had I've chatted to customers that have caught bigger than five kilos so it's they can get absolutely i mean when you see them underwater your your heart stops man like it's it's it looks like a dinosaur looking at it, like at you like it's just it's amazing. Do you guys get pack hmm. horse crays there, Eka? No, 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 no. We just get uh, the the uh, southern southern uh, crayfish.
1: Now, eating wise, mate, are they are they are these
2: things exceptional? Are they a lot better than the northern crays that we get? To be honest, I, I haven't had any of uh, any other species of crayfish here in Australia. I've actually only had the southern, and they're incredible eat, like look, so I can't compare it to anything else, but mm-hmm. they're incredible eating. Like even I find in South Africa the bigger crayfish didn't always taste that nice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know the problem is a lot of people don't have a pot big enough. I mean,
0: <laughs> You've got to understand,
2: like you need like a absolute like a you know one of those like soup witch cauldron things to actually boil yeah. one of these or steam one of these things. They're, they're so big that you literally, <laughs> you know, sometimes have to like do half the crayfish at a time. Like they're just enormous.
1: That's
0: awesome. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Mate, do what, do you guys do them on? Do you guys do them on a, a barbecue? Like just cut them up the up the middle and and do them on the barbecue. So you, I, is, I've I've done that before, but. I find that if you do if you do a crayfish like
2: that from raw, um, the meat will stick to the shell because it gets kind of overcooked on the side, so it's hard to get the meat the meat out of the shell. So, if you want to do it that way, the best is to parboil the crayfish, and then by then, the, the, if you parboil it, the legs are done anyway. So, I, normally, what I do then is I break the legs off, and that can be like a little starter in a bowl. And then, obviously, you split your cray, and you can you know do garlic butter and you know whatever kind of marinade you want, and then you can barbecue you can barbecue the, the crayfish like that, and you'll find that the the meat in the tail will actually come. Out like nice like the whole thing will come out. It won't get stuck to the actual shell, which is okay. much better.
1: That's a great tip. Nice. All right. Nice. Um, okay, like we could talk about food forever. Um was Shrek, but um what mate, what about uh like finding finding good crayfish holes? Like it, I just asked this question because something that stands out in my mind is when we spoke to um uh, geez, the guys from California—they were talking about um, certain holes for lingcod. Um, uh, Jim Russell, it was—he was talking about lingcod holes, and he's saying that they they best if they face away from the predominant swell. Any sort of thing like that with crayfish, or did I just waste a sentence?
2: no no actually no it's it's very again it depends i guess (laughs) on species so in south africa it's like they actually like to face the the surge because food's coming in and out of their hole, like those cracks and uh, crevices the whole time i found here in victoria uh sometimes it's like that but the predominant like times when i find craze generally the holes are facing away from uh, either the current or the swell. Uh, so just depending on, on, on where you're diving, uh, it, it might not be 100, like 180 degrees away, but it might be at like 90 degrees of where the, the swell is going. So they're, they, they definitely like a little bit more of a protected area. So sometimes you'll find is you'll swim down and you'll see this big like horizontal crack, but then there's a ledge. And then instead of facing into the crack, they'll be under the ledge that's facing the crack, if that makes sense. So they're completely protected under there. Um, so yeah, it's... Uh, it's um it's definitely a factor like i'm i'm not sure like in you know what the craze are like where, where you guys are but um, there's definitely an element to that uh, down here in victoria
0: some sometimes with um with species you get like signaling um things you know like other species in the area that sort of indicate that you know you're in a good spot or you know like i remember in wellington there's a sort of a weed that grows on the bottom and if you see it it's like you you're in a good area to find craze. have you got anything like that is there any sort of uh, weed or kelp or, um, you know, maybe sea urchins or something else? That- <laughs> uh, um,
2: so obviously uh, sometimes you get these little Port Jackson sharks in, in the caves uh, and that can always be a signal uh, just obviously to look behind it. Sometimes, so I went diving actually uh, with Sven, your, uh, the previous interview that you guys did. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Maybe three, four weeks ago, and we were diving, and I found about six small crayfish. Uh, They weren't size, I obviously didn't try to catch them, but when you see crayfish, you'll often find, and especially like so here in Victoria, if you find like a female, you'll often find another female in the vicinity, Uh, but if you find a female, you'll definitely, there'll be a male somewhere in that area. And so, I had looked in that area quite extensively because I thought there must be another like there must be a bull that's looking after these crays or that's 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 these are his these are his little ladies and um, I couldn't find anything. We swam on and then actually on the way back I swam down and I found this like this really nice bull. Swam down, I grabbed him and then when I went down to check that area again, he was literally a meter away from where those eight smaller crayfish were sitting um so he'd obviously he was probably so deep that i never saw him and it come out in that gap that we had you know uh swam past and come back so it's if you see if you see some crays, um and they're not sized just check the area um because you might you might find some more
0: cool. all right cool any other parting tips for crayfish
2: um
0: i'm trying to
2: think actually
0: we, we covered a fair
2: bit of ground. I've got a
1: question for you. Do you ever freeze your crayfish, mate, and does it freeze well?
2: So I've tried, okay, I have tried a lot of different ways to try and find a good way to freeze them. Um, I have parboiled them and frozen them. I have frozen them fresh, so just, just like that, um, and I've frozen them fully cooked. Now, f- I find that the, the parboiling seems to work really well, Um and I found that if you so just recently that cray that I caught, um, because they're so I mean that cray was two point I don't know two point five kilo two point seven kilos like it was a good solid cray, like my wife and I we, we just had the legs that's one meal on its own and and the kind of like the knuckles in the chest like you know that like the knuckle meat and- and took it out of the shell because obviously once it's parboiled, it's super easy to get out. And then I just actually uh, let that cool down and I vacuum sealed that. And that it, it freezes really well if you if you take it out and, and vacuum seal it. So I'm a uh, maybe about three years ago, I bought myself a really nice vacuum sealer, and um, I actually spend a lot of time. Like if I if I have a good catch of of fish, I will spend like oh, I don't know hour and a half or so just filleting, deboning everything. Um, and then portioning it in sizes for you know either two or four people yep. uh, and then and then vacuum sealing it and then I'll, I'll label that little bag you know whatever the name of fish it is and then the date so that i when i'm scratching through my freezer i know what i'm grabbing
0: yep. yeah, yeah okay
2: cool. well um, cool. well okay no yes here's, here's something that's interesting um so your crays tend to bleed out um quite a lot or very easily so obviously if you've uh, have you ever tried to uh, store a cray in your fridge? Maybe. Yes. Yeah. So, have you noticed yeah. if, if maybe if you've if you've broken a leg off that there's this black liquid yep. at the bottom of the whatever they're in, mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and often yeah.
2: that it'll smell pretty funky. Um, so, there's two things. One, if you're going to try and store it in your fridge for like, a, like let's say if you do a late session and, and you don't have time to eat it that night, if you're going to put it in your fridge, try to. Uh, Uh, seal the container with like lad wrap so that the crayfish doesn't dry out. Um, So if it gets injured, obviously that blood's going to congeal. And, you know, it's it's quite, like I said, it's quite smelly. So in that instance, I'd probably recommend try to uh, prepare or cook that crayfish as soon as possible. And then, you know, you can always store a cray, like the meat that's cooked um, in your fridge,
1: Yep. Okay. Um, the other question I had: there'll be a lot of young blokes out there that don't know what parboiling is, despite Jamie Oliver's best efforts. What um, <laughs> What's parboiling, mate? Can you explain that to us just quickly?
2: Yeah, of course. So, um, parboiling is like I think of your crayfish. Uh, you can either cook it a hundred percent. So, yep. so parboiling is cooking at You know, twenty, not even thirty percent, but like twenty or th- like somewhere around there. Like, really, just. Basically, letting the the shell change color. Okay. Um, okay. I find that if you cook it more than that, then you, so the thing with crayfish and with fish, everything like that, if you overcook it, it can be. Mm. You can save it by making another dish, but <laughs> generally, as it is, it's 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 ruined. If that makes sense, yep. like you you can save it by making like a crayfish curry then, or um, doing something other something else that's unique with, with with the crayfish or the fish. But as a standalone thing, it, you can you can overcook it. It can, can you can spoil it pretty easily. So if you, you're cooking it to like 30 percent. Max, um, you know that—that's what I would think of as like power boiling.
1: Do you chuck that in uh, with the water on the boil, or do you put that in and let the because I know with I know with Jamie's um, extra crispy roast potatoes done quick, He uh, when he parboils, you put them in the water cold and bring them to the boil and then you put them in the oven and he calls that parboiling. Is that what you're doing? Or you're throwing the crayfish in when it's boiling?
2: Yeah, when it's boiling. Right. So you can obviously put your, your cray in the, in the freezer for like maybe 40 minutes or depending on how big it is yeah. just to basically, uh, you know, put it to sleep yep. um, and then um, oh. yeah get, get your water boiling get it nice like uh, I, I, ideal would be like uh, you know seawater salt water but you know we can just always add your salt mm-hmm. um, and then and then putting it in there uh, you I'll can also to- steam it sorry yeah go for it
0: I've got a couple of pet hates with crayfish um, number one uh, number <laughs> one isn't is not so bad but it's overcook overcooking them some guys do it all the time. They they overcook it, and the meat's just like you're not even eating a crayfish. You're just eating something that doesn't even taste like one. So I'm right. On, I'm on the same page as you of par boiling. The other pet hate I have is guys that don't kill their crayfish and they put them in boiling water live. I just think like you can actually hear a cra- when you, you can hear crayfish screaming when you do it, and I, I don't like it. Um, an, an old scuba diving instructor taught me how to icky them, and you just stick your knife up through underneath um where their legs and the top of the tail join, and you can stick your knife up into their brain and kill them. It doesn't, it, it, in my opinion, it improves their eating quality, and I think it's far more humane.
2: So what I find is that like again, I mean it's. Um, what I find is that if there's any hole in the carapace, like if you've torn a leg off, water will get in there into the carapace, and it kind of changes the texture of the meat. Okay. So I, that's why I prefer like chucking them in the freezer for a bit um, versus that. I mean, look, they they both get the job done, but I I try to get as little uh, water in inside the carapace of the crayfish as possible. Okay, yeah, right.
1: Hmm. Okay, right, that's, fair enough. Yeah, that's, that's good. My, what have you got? Anything that we haven't covered on um, crayfish? It seems pretty uh, comprehensive. Comprehensive.
2: Actually. The one thing is like is hard to approach grabbing a crayfish. So the one thing that that I do. I don't know if any of you guys have done rock climbing where sometimes you can look at the wall and you can look at the grips and go okay i'm gonna you know right hand's gonna grab here and my foot's gonna go there so you can kind of like mentally figure out your climb so i I do yeah. something similar with a crayfish where I'll swim down and i'll I'll look at him because so here you you know it might take you an hour to find one crayfish you know like it's you you're looking so you want to make sure of your grab so I will go have a look at that cray and see where he's sitting and try to go, okay, should I come in on my back? Will I have a better lunge that way? Should I come in? Uh, is my left hand going to be a better grab than my right hand? Is like So you're trying to figure out how to approach and which which way in terms of how to adjust your body that you're going to get the most reach and the best grab on that cray as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of, I guess, I overanalyze it. But I'll, I'll, I'll literally stand on the, like, li- be lying on the surface of my breather, trying to, like, just picture where the cray is, and try to picture how I'm going to, like, you know, trying to grab this cray with which hand I'm going to grab. And then once I've decided which hand I'm going to grab, that's I've kind of locked it in place, and I'll, and I'll try to execute that. That's pretty that cool sense, analogy. So if
1: it's if it's wow. taken an hour to find a cray, it's only going to take ten seconds to lose it, isn't it? Really?
0: Not even that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not even that. Yeah. yeah. That's infuriating. Losing craze when they slip back into the back of a hole and you got no chance of getting them. Yeah. yeah,
2: exactly. Or they're sitting so deep that you just you can see them,
0: but like there's no way you're reaching them. Yeah, that's a, that's another thing. Guys sometimes get stuck in those holes, and um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you you've got to be pretty careful, man. Like, so obviously, you know, with your weight belt, or if you, uh,
2: so down here, obviously, we're wearing thick wetsuits. So, mm. if you're wearing a, a one of those uh, weight vests, uh, you know, they they can be a, uh, have a tendency to, to snag up. So that's where, again, with buddy diving, um, you know, you can have prearranged signals. So, like most of the guys down here, if you cross your fins, yeah. um, that means that your buddy must grab you and pull you out. F- basically by your fins so that you can because that means you're stuck
0: yeah we got taught the same thing and so it's a good signal and it's another good reason to buddy dive when you're doing cray diving um the other thing i was going to say when you're pulling a guy out of a hole don't pull him out too hard like i i i was in a hole one day and i had an over enthusiastic buddy start pulling me out for no reason at all <laughs> and he was panicked panicked he's He's panicked and he's like wrenching me out, and my head is rammed into the top of this friggin' cave. I was furious when I got out, and I was just about to grab this cray too. I was so angry.
2: Oh my gosh, that is brilliant.
0: But yep, no, nah, I'd rather have an over enthusiastic buddy than an absent one, so it's all good. 100%, man.
1: HowtoFreedive.com is a fantastic resource for Spiros. They offer a course called the 5-Minute Freediver that it goes for 28 days where Pete Ryder guides you through breath hold techniques, and in the end, it enables you to do a 5-minute static breath hold or very close to it. So if you want to improve your breath hold and you don't get to the water as much as you'd like, check it out. It's howtofreedive.com, and of course, use the code Noobspiro and you'll save yourself 20%.
0: Guys, today's Noob Sparrow podcast is brought to you by HexAquatic.com. Now, head back to our episode with Warren Bird from Hex and to get a full rundown on full Q&A. But basically, this, this suit utilizes a new technology that helps you to be more stealthy. And not only is the technology unique to Hex, but the suits are actually well-made themselves using high-grade Yamamoto neoprene. They are two degrees Celsius warmer than most wetsuits, and they're actually very well constructed and more uh, robust, more durable than than most of the suits on the market. So check them out at hexaquatic.com. If you want to know a bit more, head back and listen to our interview with Hex creator, Warren Bird. Alright, let's close out Craze, and let's move on to the funniest thing. What's the funniest thing you've experienced out spearfishing? Ah,
2: oh, so... Funny enough, uh, crazy things tend to follow this guy, Rudolph that I told you about earlier. Um, so this is like, I think it's one of those things where it's like, it was crazy when it happened, but funny in retrospect. <clears throat> so we, we're diving this coastline, again, kind of where I grew up, but it's, it's, um, it's you're diving basically on the back line. And um, you drop the divers off just behind where the waves break. And they swim into kind of the impact zone area. And, you know, they were just working the shoreline along the reef. And we just dropped two divers off. And Rudolph was sitting on it's a little like a a, a pontoon boat with a little center, like sit-down console. So he was sitting on there. Uh And I was, it was my turn to drive the boat. Um, but we kind of moved like, I don't know, 50, 50 meters or 80 meters out so that he could dress up. And then I was going to, we're going to swap places and I was going to drop him off in the shallows. And so we're busy chatting. He's got his one foot on and, you know, like we're, we're kind of looking at the shore and this is like that moment where you like drop your guard. Like we were in our heads, we were like, we're far out enough, not for anything to be an issue and we just hear this like crackling we look behind us and there was this like six foot wave tearing down at us and it was just that moment where you know you're like your heart just hits your feet and you're like this is (laughs) this sucks this is just the worst place to be Mm. and i'm like sitting in the nose of the little boat and he managed to swing one motor in and he gets it in gear and he points the boat at the wave and, but we only have the one motor going. So we don't really have a lot of momentum. Yeah. And we hit this wave. And I'm like – I'm basically hugging around the nose of my boat with my two hands. And yeah. the boat falls backwards onto the transom and does like a this weird bunny hop. And we land basically on the hull surfing the wave, like the whiteboard. Like the wave break over us and we – I don't know how. But somehow we ended up like surfing the wave towards the shore. But now what happened was – the the basically the boat's caught in the whitewash. So the motors can't because of the cavitation yep. in the whitewash, yep. so the motors not they're not turning. Mm-hmm. So you get the other motor going and we manage to break free, we turn and we hit the foam. And like at this point, like the whole the, the whole boat is full of water and we hit the foam, but we didn't have enough momentum to go over and we get pushed towards it. like we get pushed towards the the beach again. And then we just hightailed it straight on, like towards the rocks. And he was like, listen, just hold on. This is – I don't know how shallow this is going to get. Um, and we basically just headed straight to the – basically onto the beach, it felt like. Turned around and then hit hit the, the whole set going through. And we got to the back and we just like – I mean, we're just laughing, but it's like adrenaline, I guess, kicking in. But it's just that moment <laughs> We just like, it's just the craziest, yeah. craziest experience. And the crazy thing was, I mean, there's, there's just fish floating everywhere. There's just like <laughs> fins and everything. And like the crazy thing was, we like didn't lose a thing. We didn't even lose a fish. Like everything was right there floating around. We just kind of picked everything up and, you know, got everything in place again. We're just, just laughing. And the guys on the, obviously, that were like, we nearly went over their heads. They were just, yeah, they they couldn't believe what they'd just seen. So it was just just crazy.
0: So do you have any you have any takeaways from that?
2: Just Sorry. let the motors run, so that you're always ready in case you know there's a there's a freak wave or a, uh, a freak swell.
0: Oh, yeah. cool. All right. <laughs> Good call. <laughs> uh, next part of the show is dive back. So he, head to toe, what you what's your what's your dive kit, Eckhart?
2: Oh man. So I am a little bit of a gear whore. I'm, I'm just not going to lie. Um, uh, so I use a whole bunch of different little bits and pieces depending on where I'm diving, if I'm free diving, if I'm diving deep or shallow. So I've I've really struggled to find a mask that suits my face. I've got quite pronounced like uh, bone structure. So I actually use a, a single frame, the the Mare's Essence Mask. Um, and I find that that's, it's a single frame lens, and but it can get actually pretty close to your face. So it's not like a actually yeah, like a super high volume mask. So uh, that's one of my like go-to masks that I use most of the time. That mm-hmm. and uh, a kind of a cheap like Seiko dive mask that I found uh, oh, like years ago and I basically bought four of them when they were cheap. Like I just if I find a mask that fits me, I'm like I'll buy four and then yep. that's that'll be my mask. And actually last year I found an old Cressy mask. Um, I think it's the Occhio Plus um, now they stop. Chrissy stopped making them, unfortunately. But I found a shop in New Zealand that had them, and I basically bought three of them from him so that I could have a low volume mask. If if, if something happens to it, I've I've got backup, <laughs> basically.
0: That's cool. That's cool. Um, and right.
2: I just use a, a simple J snorkel, like a, the, I'm using a Mari's Essence J snorkel. So just a simple. It's a bit of a wider bore, so it breathes easier.
0: And, um, what's the pros and cons with bore size on a snorkel?
2: I find that the bigger the bore, the easier it's going to breathe, but obviously the harder it's going to be to clear. Um, if you have a super big board, like it breathes super easily, but you'll find that to clear it, I mean, you're going to have to really blow pretty hard to clear that water.
0: Hmm. Okay, cool. Good question, Shrek.
2: I like it. I like it. Then, wetsuits. Um, look, the water temp here gets crazy cold so um and i'm an abnormally i'm like I'm, I'm fairly tall um and i don't weigh a great deal so i find an extra large is just it's long enough but it's too big for me so
1: mm-hmm.
2: i actually get um uh, custom suits made in south africa from uh, rob allen oh, okay um with a bit of extra length in the arms um and and legs and waist for the jacket uh and i find that 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 just makes a bit of a... To have a bit of a better fit just makes such a difference yep. um, in terms of length. Um, so uh, we dive in pretty much a 5 more or I dive in pretty much a 5 more all year round. Even though in summer it can be a bit warm, but you know you just flush it with a bit of water. Yeah. Um, and then in winter, I'll actually go up to a 7 more or have a combination of maybe a 7 more jacket and then a 5 more farm john. Um, but then... With that, you have the added thing of like having extra weight. So you wanna, you don't like for myself. I don't want all that weight on my waist. Uh, so having like a weight vest helps you just kind of distribute a little bit of that weight. So uh, you're not taking, you're not wearing all the weight on your vest, but just you're taking some of that weight off your like your lower back. Yeah, uh, which yep. can really make such a difference on you know long dives.
1: And what what um, what vest do you like?
2: Man I- I've recently, so I've been using the an old sub vest that I bought eight years ago,
1: hmm.
2: um, but I find that it's it's uh, riding too high, like almost choking me a little bit. So um, I've recently switched over to the Ocean Hunter weight vest. Yep. Um, okay. And yeah, I find that that sits a little bit lower, the, the the clip at your chest, it sits a little bit lower. So I find that that's a bit easier, but you've got to, with all these weight vests, you've got to use that little anchor system on your weight belt. So it doesn't feel like it's going over your head when you're swimming down. And then I just use a, uh, a, a silicon weight belt, um, and, um, I actually. The interesting thing is, um, it's it's hard to get actually. But uh, you know, like your free diver weights. Um, you know, the slide, not not the weave through, like the old school, like the three pound weights, but the the slide through weights. Um, that you like. There's like a little slit in the weight where the yeah. the, the the weight pop goes through. Yeah. There's like a yeah, so I find that those are a lot easier because if I'm again, if you for me, if I if I'm changing the thickness of my suit, I need to add more weight, or if I'm uh, going to dive deep that day, if I'm teaching a free dive course, I might need to take off like two, three kilos. So uh, it's nice to be able to then just quickly slide off, you know, uh, three or four blocks, and then I can easily reposition uh, the the blocks around my waist correctly instead of then having to reshuffle the whole thing and try to work. Working on the belt, I can actually just uh, while it's around my waist, um, uh, I can just actually reshuffle it on my waist, which is uh, quite yeah. nice.
1: Like, where okay. do you get them? Because I've seen guys with them, or I haven't seen them in the shops.
2: Yeah, so um, Adreno does have some of them. Um, and the ones I've got, I've bought actually when I was in, when I came over from South Africa, I came over with tons of gear. So, actually, I actually brought mine from uh, Rob Allen. Uh, way back when, yep. okay. Um, okay. so I actually, I actually came over with them. Um, but they're 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 actually relatively hard to get. You but Adrenal does does have them. They're called the little. Uh, I think they're just called the free diver weights. Okay,
1: okay. cool.
2: Yeah, and then um, spear guns. Look, I've got a collection, <laughs> um, I, I, I try too many stuff to be honest. Um, favorite gun? Oh, it depends. Okay, so
0: <laughs> favorite <laughs> Melbourne gun? Dirty water, Melbourne.
2: So, look, my all-round, my all-round gun is uh, an 80-centimeter gun, 80-centimeter Rob Allen. Okay. Um, I also have a short, short gun for night diving, which we do here in Victoria. Okay. Um, I then have, uh, for my back beach dives and kingfish or yellowtail uh, on the back beach, I'll dive with a 1.1, the, the new roller from Rob Allen. Uh, with the ceramic bearings and like i've tried heaps of rollers like just too many and this is by far the nicest roller in terms of design and use that i've ever used like it it's it's unbelievable like i've yeah i I haven't seen much much that 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 could even come close to uh, you know when it comes to performance or just um how it works it's just it's unbelievable
0: we, we chatted to Rob Allen just before his Roller sort of hit the market, and I remember him talking to about how much testing went into it. So it's good to hear some po- some positives. about quite a it,
2: few right? of the, the the prototypes as they were kind of developing it. And, I mean, the one thing, like, you know, you can say about the Rob Allen guns, they're not, like, the prettiest guns, but you when they – it's like he didn't just come out with the Roller, like, you know, possibly some other companies, but, mm-hmm. you know, it took him, I think, like five, six years before he even came out with something uh, that was at a kind of a customer level that you can go out, go out and go purchase, but you can see the thought that's gone into it when you actually look at the roller head. Like the it's it's well thought out. There's no there's nothing that you can fault him on on the actual head itself. Like it's it's amazing. Yeah, cool. nice.
0: That sounds good. All right. Um, look, let's move on to fins. What are you what are you using in the way of fins?
2: um so my go-to fins at the moment is uh there are two fins that i'm using uh probably the most is one is the Alamanis. so they make those wooden roller guns okay um so they do a fiberglass blade with like a 30 degree angle um now the bigger the angle your surface swimming it just is just unbelievable so i've had like knee surgery like 10 years ago and like so my knees are well my one knee is like crazy sensitive. So if I kick with a hard blade or a stiff blade, it just it literally seizes up and I feel like I can't walk for like a day or two. Um so I I use these like they're incredibly soft and they've got a massive angle, like a three degree angle, which is pretty massive. So and because here in Victoria where I cover a lot of ground, um your surf like being able to kick like for hours on a surface swim is super important. So I find that is just great. And then I'm also Using a set of uh, soft, uh, short dive bars. And the shorter blades, it's a little bit more convenient because the caves that we're swimming in for craze and stuff, they're so deep that, you know, like sometimes these longer blades can be a little bit cumbersome um, when you're trying to like wedge yourself into a little hole and, you know, you're kicking around and and then you're trying to like work your way back out. Yep. Yep.
1: Yep. yep. Yeah. I I agree. I used to set a. um, Penetrator, the shorter rock hopping ones with the Kevlar, and um, I love those things. They're awesome. A um, little bit, little bit shorter, way less cumbersome, and um, probably better for me with my really crap, crappy rolling ankles as well to have a shorter blade. <laughs>
2: Okay. Honestly, I think uh, like shorter blades um, have been like I've always thought longer is better. But I've, after recently starting to go to slightly sh- like shorter blades, like I, I I really like what they do for my kicking starts. So, like I, I really like them. Like just a slightly shorter blade.
0: Yeah. All right, cool. Last of your uh, gear wrap up, Eka right. What else have you got?
2: Let's see what else. Uh, so I use a big blue torch, like a little uh, rechargeable thousand two hundred lumen torch for my cray torch which is a little bit of an overkill but i find that these torches with batteries in them just just such a pain because you go diving for for craze and then they're okay for like one dive but not really okay for the second and then you've got a drawer full of like you know 300 like batteries that you just don't know which battery to use so yeah, yeah. again it's one of those things where i just should have bought a rechargeable torch initially uh, and having bought one uh you know a few years ago i was like this is just why didn't i do this 200 lumen torch uh, and that's one of my backup torches for a night dive uh, but that's my cray torch there i've put like a little yellow lanyard on it because you know obviously with all this stuff if you drop it you want to be able to find it so I put a little yellow lanyard on it um and that helps you know if, if, if i drop it i'm gonna gonna track it down that's what, a clever um, idea what
1: brand did you say i missed it you sort of out uh
2: it's called uh Big Blue. Big Blue. It's 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 yeah, it's the uh, one of the brands that Adreno brings in. Okay. So it's a really great rechargeable torch. So I use the narrow beam because that pierces like these dark caves much better. Um, and then I use the the Rob Allen supertech socks.
0: Yep. Okay. Um
2: yeah, just uh, but you know, sucks again. is something that you yeah. kind of like. I don't know, and you like if you're rock hopping heaps, you just
0: personally I think brands should should have a five pack available. Um, if any brands <laughs> if any brands are listening, like just sell sell booties in a five pack. And give us a good <laughs> discount. I'm, I'm in. I'm buying them.
2: Oh, man. Yeah, you go through sucks heaps, man. So yeah. so, yeah, shore diving, it's just it punishes your gear. Yeah. So And then uh, down here, obviously, like in the bay, if I'm diving in the bay, I only really uh, – I use a 10-meter float line unless I'm going for scallop diving, which I might use a deeper float line then. And if I dive the back beaches – um i might use uh you know two float lines just linked together because i don't like have i've got like a 10 meter float line and then i've got a 20 meter float line uh well i've actually i've trimmed that down to like i think 16 or 17 so i like i link them together so i've got a little bit more length uh, when i'm diving the back beaches um and then obviously a nice big float i've actually um uh, last year bought a, a Harrison float from New Zealand. Okay. Um, so I'll tell you an interesting story why I bought this float. So when I moved here in, in South Africa, you get like these thick kelp forests, it's kind of like California. Yep. Um, but the, the forest is so thick, that there's no way you're swimming around there with a float. Like it's just, honestly, you'd spend the whole dive, just the tug of war with, 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 with the kelp. Um, and so we'd use, you know, those waste crayfish bags, that you can tie yep, yep. around your waist yeah so you yep. use one of them and obviously your craze and fish go in there so when i moved here i was like oh yeah i'll just kind of do the same thing so i went diving at phillip island in this little bay and you know i was having a great day i got a cray and an ab i was like you know it was it was really all coming together i was getting some good fish and i'd seen this cow shark of uh, seven gill shark uh, you know cruising in in the distance um you know three or four times but uh you know sometimes you can see in a a, a, a shark's behavior that you know you got to watch this you know you got to watch this guy and this guy you know he was very casual like he just kind of swam in and swam out so i didn't really think much of it and uh, it was towards the end of my dive I, I was literally in like three meters of water so I wasn't like super deep i was on my way out and I was swimming along the surface and this shark had come up behind me and just between my legs and grab this this bag around my waist and let's just say i i mean just imagine like looking down yeah. like you're being shaken crazy i look down and all i see is shark teeth i was like i nearly wet myself like it was yeah it was i uh, freaked out and so this thing had like literally and then his teeth got caught in the 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 kind of the, the netting of <laughs> that, that yeah. bag and i was just like it went from bad to worse yeah and so then the shark started to panic because he couldn't let go, and like I, I, was panicking, like I was like just I was going nuts and just like screaming through my snorkel like a like a little girl. <laughs> uh, but he managed to somehow let go, and then he swam like literally not even that far, man, like two meters away from me, and he turned like on a f- like a fifty cent piece and just came straight at me again. And I had to like literally push him off me like four or five times, um, yeah. and then the fourth the fourth time. I uh, he gave me enough space to to really like swing my gun and then actually chase him and then as soon as I could actually get some momentum behind me and like get into his face he uh he kind of just backed off and just swam away.
1: Do you reckon that shark like he's coming to have a go at you and he's got a big mouth full of essentially fish and has he come back here because because he, he he might have thought you know that's that's what you are.
2: Well, so. I kinda of tell the story for two reasons. One is uh, you know, one, don't keep your fish on you. Like mm-hmm. that's just a, a big no-no. Uh but two, that shark, he knew what he wanted. Like he could have, I mean, bit my leg. I mean, like literally it's around my waist. I could have been castrated there quite <laughs> easily. But <laughs> uh had had a had a late circumcision. But uh, it didn't it didn't work out that way. Uh, thankfully. But so so he knew quite clearly what he wanted. Now, that might not always be the case. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, a shark is just, you know, testing the waters and he'll take a bite of you to see what you are and see how tasty you might be. But um, yeah, so th- that thing, it literally, he was trying to gri- get this thing that was around my waist. Uh, that's one of the reasons why I kind of recommend either like a mesh bag, um, which makes it one hard for uh, the sharks to get through or seals to get through or even rays. We've got these massive bull rays. And they can be a pain too. Okay. Um, but uh, I, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to have a float that you can actually put your catch inside. Um, so I bought one of those Harrison, uh, Harrison floats from New Zealand. Yeah. So they, they can fill up with water, which is a bit of a pain, but um, you know it's not the end of the world. like yeah, I quite enjoy using it. It's good for scallop dives too, and things like that. So I've, it's a very practical uh, float. That I like to use And it works All like right. an esky too So like on my way back I'll, I'll swing by uh, You know A petrol station and, and buy some ice And can just chuck it in there And it's like a little Mini esky I don't have to like Have a separate esky For my fish yeah, Oh
0: nice. Yeah Alright um, That's a pretty cool Dive bag Eckhart. Um, Unless you've got Another bit of equipment I'd love to move on To Spiro Q&A uh, I've always got a bit more Kit in the dive bag But let's <laughs> Let's move on <laughs> All right, cool. So this is a sort of a faster-paced round of questions that uh, gets a little bit philosophical, which Turbo loves. Um, Look, could you describe what the spearfishing experience means to you in one sentence?
2: You know, it's it's that thing of coming home and preparing the food and inviting your friends over and having like a big meal and, uh, you know, basically just kind of celebrating – uh yeah it's 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 a lifestyle thing where you know you're sharing your catch and um you know like one of the coolest experiences is obviously you know is being able to uh, you know give some of that fish to a friend of yours that for them you know one if you walk into a store you can never get it as fresh uh you can never like by the time you buy it in a store that, that fish is like you know either months old and it's been in a freezer or it's you know it's it's fair few days old where you know if you give it to a friend of yours it's it's as fresh as it can get
0: yeah and it's probably being called something else in a in a in a fish shop. <laughs> um, <oops>. Sweet lip. <laughs> oh, yeah. Sweet lip is like gold banded snapper or something. All right, number two. What is the single best piece of advice you've ever been given for spearfishing? Always keep learning, eh? Number three. Who has been the most influential person or people in your spearfishing, and why?
2: Ah, uh, I'd say it's probably in the early days when I really got started. Uh, it's two. Very good, very good mates of mine uh, from South Africa, um, Andrew Halliday and uh, old Graham Fenwick. We uh, we basically cut our teeth together on the, basically just spearfishing around Cape Town, and it's that combined passion of just the ocean and, and good friends, and actually just enjoying the moment, regardless of whether you come home with you know ten fish or whether you're coming home with one fish. It's just experiencing that that moment with. Good friends and just uh, just having a good time.
0: All right. During your 15 years or so of spearfishing, what is the single biggest lesson you've learned? Hmm, that's
2: a bit of a toughie. Uh, biggest lesson, um, don't force it, I guess. So that applies to equalizing <laughs> with my ear. Yeah, yeah. Just don't, don't force equalizing. Don't force depth. Uh, you know, if, you're, if your body's not ready for it, if you're mentally not ready for it, like, Spearfishing and freediving—it's something that you can't. It's not like uh, you, if you feel bad and you, you like, you can go out for a run and just force it. Uh, you know, spearfishing and freediving—you just you can't do that. Like you, you you're going to push yourself to to the closer to the edge of a black art or, or to the edge of a bad experience. Yeah, so yeah, I just think yeah, don't don't push it. You know.
0: Love it. Last question: uh, If you could go anywhere spearfishing tomorrow, unlimited budget. You've got 3 days of spearfishing in front of you. Where would you go? <laughs> that question's changed. That yeah, that, I was going to say uh, I didn't prepare for that one.
2: Um <laughs> ambush. Ambush. <laughs> yeah, ambush. Um man, I've I've just seen like look, I've I've never really gone out and targeted big fish. Um you know, I'm like here it's all shore diving. It's it's in big like, I'm not a I'm not like a trophy hunter, mm. um, but uh, I'd love to try and and uh, you know my my goal hopefully this year is to to really try and shoot a southern bluefin tuna, um, okay. nice. and so that's yeah like I'm, I don't have like I mean it'll be amazing to travel you know like Ascension Islands and target like big uh, yellowfin and things like that but I. I like the idea of you know setting small like not small goals but setting like attainable goals and reaching them and also again I don't want to like just be a trophy hunter and travel somewhere and then shoot this massive fish and then like donate mm. it to, to random people I, I don't want to bring that fish home I want to bring it home and share it with friends or you know uh, you know eat like uh, you know vacuum seal it and eat it for for a while you know that's um, yeah. that's what I would like to do so yeah that's that's probably uh, an attainable three day mission you know maybe right. down portland way and and get some get a tuna
0: all right nice i like it all right man so you're a freediving instructor in melbourne where can people come and find out a little bit more about your courses and what you're up to down there
2: yeah obviously uh you know uh you can pop in at the adreno store in melbourne uh i'm also on facebook and instagram uh salt sessions freediving um I try and stay active there, and try my best to respond. Um, but yeah, that's probably the the two biggest thing the two or two areas. You know, it's obviously social media or or at the adrenal store.
0: All right, cool. If um, if people come to your show notes page, they can find some links to your social profiles in there anyway. And uh, so friggin' uh, excellent to catch catch up with you today, Eckhart. Um the the crayfishing section stands out for me like um there's there's heaps of stuff in there for for anyone that's going to listen to this episode I think great man it's uh, it's nice to add something different a little different swing on things yeah no I appreciate yeah. it and it's good to have someone that listens to the show and and knows Turbo's bad jokes so <laughs> you're already prepared in advance with what jokes <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, very good uh, mate that, good that was stuff. awesome. I love that. There's a couple of it's uh, two Melbourne guys in a row, um, probably at two different uh, levels of spearfishing, I would say, or experience levels, and um, yeah, you both you, you guys have both come up with sort of a different uh, aspect. I guess between yourself and Sven, and um, it's bloody awesome. It just sounds like the sort of place, like you said. There's not a lot of huge trophy fish, but like you said, and we didn't even touch on it. Scallop diving. Um, you said the calamari diving, and then you've got. Uh, we talked to Sven about King George whiting. That's another top quality table fish. You've got snapper, kingfish, all of those things, and crayfish as well. So it's like it's pretty abundant in in high quality um, high quality um, seafood, which is. Yeah, which is probably like quite indicative of the southern climate. Like the colder water seems to um, have those. Well, for pieces. me,
2: honestly, the, the 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 highlight moving down here was that opportunity at, at shooting big calamari. Like my biggest mm. is like over three kilos. So oh. like your the hoods are like you know 50, 52 centimeter fifty you know over fifty centimeter hoods. Awesome. Like that's it's just enormous. And when you see them, they're like UFO. It's just they're beautiful you know so Crazy. it's uh, yeah and obviously they taste unbelievable so yeah it's 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 great to to find out what's unique about the area that you live in and, and and try to hone your skills and try to you know um you know learn the seasons learn you know when they're around and and how to get them Oh,
1: cool like what's the what what's the best catch you've had like what's the best seafood spread you've had from Melbourne
2: uh, would you, would well, you like the best e- eating or? Yeah, would
1: you have put on? Have you ever put on a spread of scallops, crayfish, and whiting?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, so, look, I um, when I go for scallops, you're allowed like a hundred per person, which just sounds crazy, yeah. but and it takes you forever to clean them so if I go I try and get as close to my limit as possible and then I will actually uh, vacuum seal portions of like let's say 20 in a in a packet so uh, and they actually when you vacuum seal them they actually vacuum seal really well so when they come out they're, they're just beautiful um, so obviously uh, we we did a meal with uh, a friend of mine that, that came out from South Africa we did uh, like a, a scallop pasta um, and then some crayfish Um, And then I think I had some kingfish or snapper. Uh, In fact, I think we even did both. Um, So my favorite thing for like a a, a game fish, uh, a kingfish is um, you marinate it in lemon juice and soy sauce for like an hour yeah okay um and then um you know just bake that uh, put it on some baking paper bake it for like you know 12 to 15 minutes like just before you can start separating it so that it, when you take it out the the heat in it will cook it the rest of the way
1: yeah.
2: <clears throat> and and then for your like your softer fish like uh using a like a sour cream and dill mix with maybe some lime zest and you put that over the fish and it kind of traps that moisture in and the same principle you want to just undercook it so that but the, the the residual heat that's in the fish will actually cook it the rest of the way. Oh, nice! Sounds so yeah, fun, fun. That,
0: that was that was a big feast. That 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 yeah. was great. You sound like you're going to be a a regular um, columnist on the Noob Spiro Riding Fish Recipes. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, look, I'll, uh, as as much
2: as I love uh, the spearfishing, uh, you know, the big passion for me is just is there is the eating and preparing and and getting your like getting your catch from from the ocean onto your
0: plate yeah. and into the and into the tummy i guess good love it all right ekart we've had a we've had a ball we've had a ball buddy um we, we're gonna we're gonna have to catch up again perfect man uh, just one other a quick maybe just a uh uh
2: i mean i guess a call to action that i'd like to sure. throw oh. out there i'm I'm heading to South Africa in July, and um there is a organization called Waves for Change. Um, and so it's obviously not spearfishing wetsuits, but these guys work with underprivileged communities um, in in Cape Town. And they take um, uh, kids out surfing and get them into like, instead of sitting at home and basically getting into kind of gang life and, you know, a, a troubled upbringing, they're trying to get them into the ocean and get them active and, and busy. So oh, yeah. uh, maybe just a, a call to action is, you know, these guys need just wetsuits. They need uh, kids wetsuits, they need adult wetsuits. So, if anybody has any, um, uh, you know, old wetsuits lying around, kids wetsuits uh, uh, specifically, and adults too, mm-hmm. um, if they can maybe, uh, you know, contact me either via social media or at the Melbourne store. Uh, okay. I'm I'm planning on, you know, trying to get you know twenty or thirty kilos of wetsuits to take back and and basically oh, just. A- Donate, just donate it to them so that they can kind of carry on what they're doing.
0: That's awesome. We'll um, we'll do a bit of a social media blast for that as well. So guys can come and find you in the Adreno Melbourne store and give you some some old wetsuits and they'll be put to good use over in South Africa. That's cool. it. That's it. Wicked. Oh, that's cool, man. Oh, good. Well, like 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 I said, we've had a blast chat with you today, Eckhart and learned a ton. So awesome catching up with you, man. Thanks for joining us today. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks, I got Guys, in today's episode, we have talked about lots of different spearfishing equipment. Chances are you can get your hands on most of it at spearfishing.com.au. They've got competitive prices and an awesome hassle-free returns policy. They uh, have $15 flat rate shipping Australia-wide. Chances are, if you order that equipment today, it will be at your doorstep tomorrow. And you can even save a little bit more money by using the code NOOBSPERO at checkout. That'll save you a further $20 on every purchase over $200. It also helps support the Noob podcast. So head over to spearfishing.com.au and save some money on some gear. Thanks for listening, guys. Whew, what a treasure trove of knowledge. That was a bloody long interview with Eckhart, but thanks for sticking with us to the end. Now, if you took notes, I'd love to hear about it because there was a ton of information and value bombs dropped in this show. But uh, as Eckhart says, join him on social media. Or you can even pop into the Adreno store down there in Melbourne. And uh, if you're interested in doing a freediving course in that area, then he sounds like an absolute great resource to have um, around you. And um, it's a its a—it's a, it's a good way- Way to start your journey, if you um, get in with a guy like that when you when you're just starting off, all right. Um, so thanks, Eckhart for joining us and uh, and a, and, a, and an absolute um, like I said, treasure trove of information, particularly about the crayfish. Love that section. Um, back on noobspiro.com, I've recently written a guide to dry training for spearfishing, and uh, you can check that out. Uh, just pump into Google, dry training for spearfishing, noob Spiro. Go and check that out. If you're wanting to improve your breath hold, or you know, if you if you you're getting stuck on dry land a bit, but you just want to preserve some freediving fitness, this guide's got heaps of information to just help you do that. So check it out. It's free. Up on NoSpiro.com. It's a a long one, uh, but there's plenty of information in there and resources. And uh, if there's something missing, just let me know in the comments. That'd be great to hear. Um, In a week's time, we're off to chat with someone else. Uh, We haven't got anything locked in just yet because uh, we're still catching up with Kickstarter people. And on that note, Kickstarter is, the book is... Moving along, well, we are in the final stages with the formatter, just going back and forth on a couple of minor details, just getting it absolutely perfect before we send it off to the printer and get a trial copy sent to us, and then, uh, and then we'll go through that process before we ship out those rewards to everyone. So, thanks for those that have got on board the Kickstarter. If you still want to pick yourself up a coffee, you can, a copy. You can head over to Indiegogo, pump in uh, spearfishing in our project. will come up there. You can get on late because we uh, we had that by popular request. All right, guys, thanks for listening today. Shrek over and out.
1: Shrek, 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 you there, mate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exciting news. I just want to let you know that Spearing Magazine has its eight-issue back catalogue for thirty US dollars plus shipping, that's three dollars seventy-five an issue. How does that make you feel? Oh,
0: that makes me
1: feel That's right, excellent. Though. All right, guys. <laughs> so if you want to get that, um, if you wanna get those eight back issues, all you have to do is email Jeremy at Spearing Magazine. That's J-E-R-O-M-Y at Spearing Magazine, and just say, Psst, I'm after that eight issue back catalogue for thirty US dollars.
0: Jeremy at spearing magazine